What is up, Gypsy Gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast and super, super stoked on this one. Uh, today, joining me on the podcast is the man that puts the G in GL, Grant Langston. Uh, Grant has been in, I guess you would say, like Moto News uh, recently with everything that went down um, with his departure after eight seasons uh, as a commentator for the AMA Motocross series. Um, we'd been wanting to do this podcast anyway, um, so kind of just coincidence how uh, it worked out. But I mean, that aside, man, Grant has had, like I knew bits and pieces of his story, um, but to really sit down and kind of go through uh, what he and his family went through to then uh, where they've ended up now. It's a, a phenomenal story um, and one of the best that I've ever heard in this uh, in this epic sport uh, of ours. So massive thanks to GL for coming on and I'm just excited uh, for some of the COVID stuff to go away so that we can uh, hang out both here in Australia. Uh, we've talked about a trip to South Africa um, and then and then the US. So buckle in. This is a good episode of the podcast. Uh, we're brought to you today once again by the guys at Anti-Gravity Batteries. Do me a favor, go to antigravitybatteries.com. Uh, these guys are the number one lightweight lithium battery available in the market. Now they do motorsport batteries. Um, these are used on the factory Kawasaki team. Uh, they're used on the star racing team. Uh, they're used on the pro circuit team. These guys make literally the best batteries in the world um, for your dirt bike. They are a super lightweight design that just slides straight into your OEM slot um, for battery. So they also do a bunch of other accessories as well, uh, like their micro start jump starter. They do uh, deep cycle um uh, batteries for like cars and trucks and then they do a bunch of other uh, charges and accessories um, there's I'm, I'm about to do uh, an order with these guys because their products are honestly um, insane so like things like their ps45 they've got a portable power station um, that basically you can charge like a wall plug you get like four or five laptop charges in it it's got two usb ports um, they do solar panels uh, to charge batteries they've got their like i said they've got their micro start which again usb you can jump start your car um, these guys do everything batteries and it's not just moto where these guys get used they get used in like trophy trucks they get used in uh, jet skis uh, speed boats um, trust me when i say that these guys are, are the best in the world at what they do um, the crew there uh, fans of Gypsy Tales, and that's how this relationship came about, and that is how I love these kind of relationships to go. So, antigravitybatteries.com, trust me, get on there, have a look, you will not be disappointed. Uh, you'll also won't be disappointed when you head to mxstore.com.au. Uh, these guys, largest in Australia, parts and accessories for your dirt bike. And not only that, they've just got so much other rad stuff going on uh, in the Australian industry, like the Show and Shine um, that was on a couple of weeks ago, uh, their Wreckers to Checkers series. They're always uh, sponsoring different events around Australia. So massive for the industry. Um, that mean massive for myself personally. Um, a lot of what is in my shed uh, comes out of their Gold Coast, uh, their Gold Coast showroom. So mxstore.com.au au if you order before 2 p.m you are going to get same day shipping we're also brought to you by the guys at boost mobile and right now is their biggest sale of the year this is the time to get connected with 
boost locked in sale up to 66% off selected sims uh, the $300 12 month sim with 240 gig is now just $270 uh, this is the one that I do uh, and I've done it for a couple years pretty much you just get one payment and then that's your whole year done with your phone uh, they also have the super popular $30 sim in uh, at just $10 uh, and also huge discounts on all other 12 month and 28 day sims there's also 10% off refurbished devices all the hottest iPhone and Samsung's plus watches and iPads they come with a $30 sim to get you started uh, and Afterpay and ZipPay is available on uh, the refurbished phones and again that's what I got every year I just get the uh, the new iPhone get one of the refurbished ones and you really can't tell the difference so this is for one week only. It ends on the 20th of September at boost.com.au. Uh, we're also brought to you by the guys at Fist Handwear. You can head to fisthandwear.com. Uh, Gypsy Gang is going to get you 15% off there as well as Dixon, uh, dixonquality.com.au. Gypsy Gang is going to get you 20% off there as well. Also, we're brought to you by the guys at Rival Inc. You can head to rivalincdesignco.com. Com, uh, and those boys are going to get you dialed in with the best graphics in Australia. Also, head to their YouTube channel. They've been doing some really, really cool stuff, showing you exactly what it takes to be the best in the world uh, at making dirt bike graphics. Uh, and finally, the guys at Cricks Tweed. You can head to crickstweed.com.au for any new or used vehicle. Uh, the reason I can get to the track is because of the legends at Cricks uh, and my Mitsubishi Triton. So that's it for the ads. Enjoy this episode of the podcast with an absolute epic human, Grant Langston. Yeah, good. How um how long roughly do you think? I think you said three hours well, before I do, on average. Yeah, yeah, we do we do three. Um, fuck, dude, I reckon I could talk to you for six, but we'll um whenever you got to be honest, just like. Just, I, just I'm only asking because of 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 the kids. Yeah, no, all good. Well, let's let's hook in now. My brew, the Zulu warrior Grant Langston, joins us on. Oh, you go jump in real quick. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, if I need a break or anything, do I give a signal or do you try roll through nah, in three just, hours? Mate, no, nah, it's so chill, dude. Do it. Cut and edit it if need be. Okay, cool. I should be good, but yeah, who knows? No, we're good. Got me a bottle of water nah, and I all, might have to hit good. the pisser at some point. Yeah, no, nah, all, all good. <laughs> uh, all right, Grant Langston, the Zulu warrior, joins us in studio. I've been frothing to do this one for a long time you're uh, uh you're just you're a g in every sense of the word and then obviously <laughs> lately things are it's a little bit more topical um but i mean regardless of that dude there's just so much dope shit to talk to you about so i'm uh, i'm pretty excited for this one yeah i'm excited too i uh certainly a fan myself i've been uh, following you for a while and i love how you spread it around like your different guests whether it's a congressman or a fighter or BMX, uh, it's it's been cool and uh, it's truly an honor to be on you. No, thanks, man. I appreciate that. So you come with one of the heaviest cosigns of any person I've ever spoken to um, in the form of Sammy. Uh, Sammy just <laughs> fucking. You guys have a have a such a dope relationship, and uh, I feel like. I am like friend, literally just friends with you by proxy because you and Sam are such good friends. 
uh, it is funny how sometimes things work but obviously you know his personality very well he's just got the his heart's as big as his body if not bigger i don't know how it fits in there but you know <laughs> sammy's a good, he's a big boy with a big heart but from the day i met him um there's not too many people in the industry that uh didn't really ask for anything um I think the only thing he ever asked was simple questions like, hey, would you be interested in this? Would, uh, what do you think about that? Would you carry my gloves in your store? Whatever it may be. But it was never, hey, you owe me or can you do this or can you hook me up or can you get me into the industry? I met him through Matto. Uh, even though I'm South African, I am surrounded by Aussies no matter where I go. I feel like we, yeah. we, have, a, we have a similar um, just upbringing and, and character and all that. So... Yeah, I got to meet him, and, and through that, it's it's been awesome. I, that was basically what opened the door for me to do the announcing at OzX a few years. Um, we carried the product in the store. Um, me and Matt have always been good mates, and uh, you know, I know with uh, COVID, I haven't got to see him or necessarily you or any of the other guys in a little while because of something that's out of our control, but we still talk on the phone, we still chat, we still keep in touch, and uh, nothing but uh, brotherly love. Yeah, no, he's he is the biggest legend, hands down. Uh, when are you coming on a trip with us? I guess once COVID's over, have you got any have you got any ideas to join in on one of our r- ridiculous trips? I do. I th- I kind of think it would be kind of sweet to do something in South Africa um, or even somewhere southern Africa Done. because there's there's so much uh, natural beauty and good area to ride in that and. Uh, I just feel like it hasn't really been explored that well. And the few people that do it locally don't get, um, they don't have the following or the hype mm. or, the, or the media. So we could sort of tag along with a cool group of guys and just have a wicked experience. So I'm down for it. I just, uh, waiting for this dust to settle a little bit. You know, there's, there was some, uh, some issues in South Africa with rioting and uh, government problems, um, which, which is calming down a little bit. But uh, yeah, when you want to go ride out in the open, you do want to feel a little bit safe so uh i think i think with with all the mess coming down and then hopefully with COVID and all these restrictions because it, it keeps changing every time i think any one of us wants to make a plan it's yeah. like okay we can do it and then it's like oh wait no no something changed so i just really hope it dies down and we can get back to some normalcy yeah man nah i'm so down and south africa would be would be rad do you do you have any ideas what kind of bikes we'd take like what would your ideal trip to south africa look like we'd take a small crew and then we'd take a film crew um and then we'd do something over i reckon maybe like a 10 day ride type trip like if you got any yeah. ideas would, would we do like uh motocross bikes and then like kind of road trip around and hit different tracks and then do some trail stuff or would we do like adventure bikes like what would be your ideal south africa trip i think the nice thing is there's enough context we could pull off all of that whether it was um you know the number one selling motorcycle in south africa is a ktm 300 two-stroke so the enduro market yep. is alive Perfect. and thriving down there and there's a, a lot of good riding areas whether it's kwazulu natal which is just out of town from where i grew up um huge off-roading community uh then then near johannesburg and those areas it's more open so uh adventure bikes would be fun i mean i i think anyone would get a kick going through a a wild animal park you know on a safari on on a adventure Dang. bike just being in the open i mean yes. you gotta watch your shoulder over your shoulder every now and then but it, it'd be awesome and uh, and then of course motocross bikes would be no big no big uh, deal but i think you could like plan it we do a couple days 
enduro couple days adventure and then like you said maybe a couple moto tracks and then uh you kind of have to go down to cape town just for the scenic side of it like their adventure bikes up the coast is beautiful where the two oceans meet and uh that's something i'd like to do as well as maybe down the road even i'd like to explore australia as well i think it's a, a magic place and i've seen enough videos and tv and footage and all that that you know and i see your guys road trip and i'm like yeah that's that's what it's all about so i'm keen into that you know i think being a motocrosser people may not know that i just love motorcycle riding i I have a dual sport yeah um i have all kinds of toys i have too many i just don't ride them enough but i'm also looking at getting an adventure bike because so many of my mates have adventure bikes and just a little extra comfort, you know, when you're a little bit chubby and you have a bad back, you want that little extra comfort. So I need to get me one of them uh, adventure bikes. Man, where um, the trip that I would love to get you on, because um, that, that's one of the things like I fucking love doing the podcast and yep. my time away from the podcast, like my idea of a uh, break from work is to basically get do some kind of trip that involves the motorcycle. And uh, yeah. that's like we did manage them up, but I can't uh-huh. afford to not work, so I have to try and <laughs> turn those trips into Plan like a all work these. trip. Uh, yeah. So, but the, one of the trips I would love to get you on and to film it and show the world is we two years ago uh, we did. We're actually supposed to be there right now, but COVID kind of fucked all the plans. Yeah. Um, but we drive to Cairns which is where I grew mm-hmm. up um, and it's like northeastern Queensland yep. uh, and then it's about a two two and a half thousand kilometer trip uh, Cairns is pretty much like the last town uh, like big civilized town in the northeast of Australia yep. and then from then on it's dirt roads and aboriginal communities and it's like full on outback Australia crocodiles everywhere you can't even fucking look at the water like it's a <laughs> it's proper shit you know and uh and so we get on uh in 20 i get well two years ago i got on a 2012 ktm 450 because i didn't have my own bike at that point and uh unregistered and drove out of my uncle's fucking shed in cairns and then it was like 15 of us and we went to the tip of australia like the the point at the uh at the top and then so you do that and come back and you just sleep on on swags on the ground the whole trip and showering in the rivers and man it is just the most unbelievable trip so for your trip to australia i think like when we're going to do that again is when the covid stuff settles down so hopefully that coincides with an international flight being in and maybe like you and matto can fly across for it i really want to get bt on it as well and chad's talked about doing it with us as well um so yeah that's kind of my goal over the next couple of years is to use the podcast platform to help all of us go and do these rad trips and yeah. show like a different side of moto because dude i love putting a bike on the back of a ute and going and doing motos but yeah man there's so many other ways to enjoy a motorcycle to it's enjoy insane. It. heck yeah now that'd be a fun group you got you got maddo who's got several screw looses you got reedy who's yes. getting into off-roading who's a, a character bt would probably be the most serious one in the group but we'd, we'd definitely poke Big fun time. at him and and uh get him get him to come out of his shell a little bit but yeah I, dude i'd be totally down if it worked out time wise i'm there because that's the kind of stuff i'd love and the thing is like australia is a place i want to go to I'll, I'll be the first to admit some random third world countries don't excite me that much 
but I think Oz just has yeah. so much natural beauty. And like I said, there's just something about it that it, it's, it reminds me a little bit of South Africa, whether it's the people, the culture, the wildlife, mm. whatever. It's different, but there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, there's definitely uh, a real kind of like kindred spirit thing between, I think, For sure. uh, like South Africans and even guys from the UK. Like when I was living in the States, I spent a lot of time with like Johnny Louch and then, you know, Tommy uh-huh. Searle and that, that crew. Like I kind of bounced between like all the other expats and nothing against Americans, obviously. But there's just, I don't know, there's something in line with our cultures where we really For get sure. along. Yeah, I, a lot of it too, I think, is just the upbringing, you know, like uh, America's always mm. been like the biggest, the best, the gnarliest. I feel like in Australia, kind of like South Africa growing up, you, you didn't really get that much attention. You know, if you're a young kid, if you're a Hayden Deegan or something, I mean, you're a big deal at this age. I was, you could argue, as good as him, if not even better at my age in South Africa, but no one gave a shit. You know, except for the few mm. people in the, in the motor community. And, you know, I think sometimes when when it's kind of like that, it's just a different way. Um, now, you know, you look at these kids, they have to please sponsors. They need to do videos and vlogs and YouTube channels. When we were kids, it was just, we twisted the throttle and when we were done, we, we screwed around with our mates, you know, and, and it was just about being at the races. So things have changed as well. I think even when you look I go to South African races now and I'm like, it's a little bit different to what I remember. And I'm sure sometimes it probably feels the same mm. way in ours. But no, I agree. I think there's a lot of similarities. The only big difference I can think of is that we're just a lot better than you guys at rugby and cricket. Sorry. Mm. Yeah, look, <laughs> yeah, look, I'll, I'll take it. Um, that's, Jason's that's like, I don't give a point, flying like, fuck, mate. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm out of touch. I, oh, as long as, uh, as long as the Australian cricketers has got hot misses that we can, uh, that we can look at when the TV pans across, I'm pumped. Who cares who wins? Priorities, <laughs> mate. I got it. Priorities. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's an interesting point, though, about like if you to say like you were probably as fast or if not faster than than um hayden because there's two very different ways to approach the same end goal like your end goal was to be a champion at motocross that's hayden's goal and it's like you've got one kid that is growing up in the i mean hayden's growing up in an extreme situation like probably the most extreme situation you know like got this really famous dad has every opportunity being given to him but he also has a dad that is making sure that he's working for it like you know you've only got to follow brian's instagram stories to see him cleaning air filters i don't fucking clean air filters why do you <laughs> think i own a dealership have, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey i got fucking lusty industries shout out to funnel web filters yeah. i don't clean many yeah. <laughs> i don't clean many air filters so i mean you've got this that kid and you know like he's got the ideal situation you know and a dad that understands the predicament of having a a a rich kid you know do something and and the the potential problems that can come for that so there's like that's the most extreme version of that spectrum and you were almost on the other most extreme end of that spectrum like south african kid no scene no eyeballs no media no nothing but striving towards the the same goal and i mean it's interesting because like can you get to the level 
um, you know, that a kid like Hayden's on in just this obscure place um, without everyone pushing you, without in the industry, without the best bikes, without all that? I think, you know, you, you make a good point. It's, the, as I've said before, there's lots of roads that can lead to the same destination. And you go mm. look back, whether, you know, just some of the names we've talked about, whether it was Reed, whether it was Townley, whether it was myself, whether we've all done it slightly different. Um, but sometimes, like, I look at it and I think, man, imagine someone like Greg Albertine, you know, I mean, when he started in the GPs, yeah. he wasn't even allowed in Sweden and Finland because of the, the end of apartheid. You know, something he had nothing to do yeah. with, nothing, you know, he was just trying to ride a bike and, like, they're like, you can't come in our country because you're South African. So he had it really tough. I, I, I don't even think there was a roadmap for someone like him. He helped, uh, I think, that next generation of kids in South Africa, myself included, because we started seeing a guy win at the world stage and then watch him come to America. And yeah, he might have had a few crashes in Supercross, which I think a lot of people remember him as. But I go, the dude was gnarly. Like he straight up has kicked every top dude's ass at some point. And um, mm. that's why he was always my hero. And uh, he was the guy that I felt like gave us this generation, uh, the feeling that we could do it. You know, it did feel like, yeah, maybe maybe the odds were stacked against you. But I think where the, the main difference that I just see is a lot of the kids now, it's almost like there's a, a textbook on how to get to Loretta's and how to get a pro ride and how to be a pro. So we didn't have as much of that but i think what we made up was with just heart and determination you know there was failure wasn't an option for a lot of people and you know that's something i can relate to with chad quite a bit um mm. he came over and it was pretty much like we're not failing we're gonna make this work one way or another and um and i was a little bit younger and i came with my dad and you know my parents gave up everything we didn't come from money so they were in credit card debt and they were broke and um you know, so the, the thought of going home, even though my dad reminded me, he goes, we don't have a fucking home because I sold it to get you here. So you're going to like, we're not just turning around because it's getting tough. And those were some like tough times. The first year in Europe when I was just a little kid and no one knew who I was and I was battling to qualify for GPs. It was tough. It was miserable. All of a sudden, motocross did not seem fun. Um, I was quite, quite content to kick it in the head and go back to South Africa and get a normal job and, and, and just ride on weekends for fun. Thank goodness my dad didn't let that happen because I, knowing what I know now, I'd be so resentful knowing that we got mm. that close and right at the hardest point, right at, right at that peak where we've been climbing, 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 struggle, struggle, struggle. Like I was prepared to kick it in the head and uh, I'm glad my dad gave me that little, little extra shove and that tough love because that's what got me over the crest. And it seemed like from that day on, it was a weird situation. Just things started happening. My riding was improving. I was getting better qualifying, better results, more more interest from other teams. So it is interesting. So I think getting back to someone like a kid like Deegan, he's under a microscope. Let's be honest. There's probably a lot of people out there that are wanting to see him fail mm. because there there's always that jealousy factor. Um, but what I what I do respect too is like you said. Brian's doing everything he can and, and, and uh, you know, the, the family works with a good friend of mine, Caleb Tennant from South Africa, who was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, he was like a little brother to me um, growing up and I felt like I helped him in the ways that, you know, people need help. Like, you know, whether it was how to get your paperwork sorted, where to go, where to live, how to 
apply for a mortgage, whatever. Like there's a lot of changes. And I said, I had an agent which helped me. Um, but what I see with Caleb, like when he works with them, like he'll even say, hey, you know, there is a lot of hype. There is a lot of, um, you know, cameramen around and those other things, which like he says, he's not used to. But he understands how how that operates and how that works and how that can benefit, you know, financially as well as just the attention. Because let's be honest, if he was a third place guy and there's another kid that's a third place guy, but he's got a million followers and the other kid's got 20,000 followers, what are the sponsors going to do? It's about selling products. So mm. you're going to get the ride based on popularity. But, um, you know, even like like talking with Caleb, he'll say they try to stay grounded and focused because probably knowing that he's never really, really, really struggled. You know, even when he had a bad day or things weren't going well, it wasn't like we're broke, we have nothing to go back to, it's gotta make this happen. It's a different way of being pushed and a different way of dealing with failure and success. So I I admire the fact that they are aware of that, like, hey, we, you know, we got a target on our back, we gotta go and do every little thing possible. One to prove that we're doing it and said old saying what you put in is what you get out so two different roads can get you to the same destination sometimes and i i am always mm. curious and i watch it the first kid i felt like i really focused on in this department was Cianciarello because mm. i mean at one point they called him baby jesus you know and when he was like nine years old and i'm thinking that's a pretty heavy uh nickname they got yeah. you got given there you know and all of a sudden the pressure was on and i always followed him and i there were times I felt bad because I felt like because he was popular and so successful at a young age, there was just a, a large group of people that just wanted to see him fail. Um, and I hope people will change their minds on that. You know, these are young kids just trying to make their dreams come true. Don't hate on them because of their popularity level. Well, and the, and the thing is, is that like nobody chooses their starting point in life. It's not like... Exactly. And, and this is where the term, I mean, the term privilege just across the board is just such a fucked up term to me if you use it in the in the case of like uh uh like a hayden Deegan, you're like well you know he's look he's just so privileged and it's like all right man this is how privilege would work what he is is lucky yeah privilege would work like this you you got this hayden Deegan sperm which is a weird thing to say obviously but you got this <laughs> this like little sperm and then you're like hey you could grow up in south africa um, just at the end of apartheid and you know this yeah. is the road you're gonna have to go and or you could pick this famous father and then you go I'm probably gonna pick the famous father that lives in wine country Temecula that would be privilege right but if you yeah. don't get that choice and you just end up there that's called luck and then how luck works is if you grow up if if you land as uh brian deegan's son we'd call that good luck if you end up as my son with absolutely <laughs> zero fucking talent on a dirt bike then that's called bad luck so it's oh, like people fuck. completely lose like people lose perspective of this shit and like to hate on anyone like you're so right like a cincerello or a fucking austin faulkner or a or a hayden deegan yeah. it's like have you guys lost perspective of this thing yeah. called fucking luck? Like, how do you blame a kid for where he's born, who he's born? Like, you just got a kid out there that's having a crack. Like, I just, I've never understood that mentality. That's pretty funny. I like that. The good luck and the bad luck. <laughs> but there's some truth to yeah, that. and that's sure. all it is. Yeah, so, but uh, how, how do you get, like, when you're... Because I think for for me in Australia, like I watch the guys, um, and 
Ross Beaton, who's Jed Beaton's older brother, he's kind of started this. Uh, there's a few dudes actually doing it over here now, but he's got this. It's called Beaton's Pro Formula, and there's a group of dudes that are riding down in uh, Victoria, and it's like fucking brutal conditions, man. Like, I know in America you've got like the Florida brutal conditions. It's like super hot and super humid. Yeah. The tracks get rough. These dudes are on the opposite end of the spectrum. It's like Euro shit. They're like going through this. Uh, uh, essentially like a european style winter riding these crazy rough tracks it's like regan duffy kyle webster there's a whole crew of them down there and i'm actually starting to see that speed translate but i think before in australia there was just guys that were kind of on their own doing their own thing and it just seems like we just couldn't get fast so for a guy like you and, and and so now um you like Kyle Webster's, uh, he, I think he's only lost one moto in the the MX2 championship here. Fucking murdering everybody. Like he's just, he's insane. Like he looks brilliant on a dirt bike. Yeah. And then Regan Duffy, exactly the same. Like for an 18 year old kid, like he's a man child beast, you know. And uh, and then, you know, you're sort of starting to like kind of see this group situation where the group gets faster together. Um, but yeah. for you, like growing up in South Africa, pretty much like away from the rest of the world, it's like how do you get fast on your own the way that you guys did? Well, I think um, to your point that I think you're hitting the nail on the head, but with those guys riding in a group in brutal conditions, um, I also believe that there's some some downside like especially like in southern california where the tracks are groomed on a daily basis Mm. and sometimes they don't even really get that rough and i'm a firm believer that you know when i've watched some of the greatest of all time they always had um some shithole that they rode at that was just brutal Mm. but it you know you had to learn your bike never handled on the kind of a track maybe it was an old quarry maybe it was a sand pit i don't know but just think of like the toughest stuff. Now you get a group together. So when one guy's having a good day, think about it. If there's two mm. guys and one guy does a 56 and the other guy does a 57, hey, a 56 is a good lap time. Now you double your group and someone mm. comes in with a 55. Hey, 55s are doable. You know, it opens everyone's eyes. And because you, you always think whoever's the fastest, I, you, you've probably heard people say, dude, I don't even know if you could go faster on a 250F than that kid. And then he gets beat, and you're like, how the hell did that happen? But um, for me, I think one of the main things was my dad always pushed me up. And then even when I was on like 80s, um, I ended up just riding and training with guys on 125s. I didn't even ride with guys. Mm. And it used to piss a lot of dudes off. You can imagine dads were not happy when their boy's out there and some kid on a little mini bike comes and passes them. So. I was not the most popular kid growing up in South Africa. It was the, we had the small group that loved me and a large group that hated me. So, um, and my dad probably didn't help anything at that point. But even even when I was um, 13, I, was, I wasn't very tall or anything, but I was already dabbling on 125. So I just think a matter of, I was always sort of pushed. Like even, I mean, even when I went to 125s, I, the first race I did was a schoolboy race. And bear in mind, there was a little flash flood and just a short shortened track and whatever. but. I lapped the field and uh, I remember the, the dude from Honda, Castro Honda, he was like, man, this is going to be a great season. And my dad's like, we're not riding school, boy. We're going straight to seniors and pro like, and they're like, well, you have to be 16 and I was 14 and my dad's like, well, we'll just apply for special dispensation. And 
I remember thinking like, whoa, things are moving quick. So I was pushed real quick. And then the, the minute I got moved up to 125s, I was the most hated guy on the, on the starting line. So I got, I got pushed around pretty good, which is why I think I learned to be an aggressive rider was because I, was, I got slammed. You know, I was not trying to piss anyone off. I was just trying to get around the track and be, you know, do my thing. And these guys obviously got messages, do not let that little punk beat you. So I got taken out for a while. I, was, I even kind of hated being in this, uh, we called it 125 senior because it really wasn't a pro class. And, um, but then by halfway through the season, I was the fastest guy and I won the, f the final three or four rounds in a row, pretty dominant fashion. Now I haven't won the title because I was too far back at the beginning of the season. So I was, I, I was kind of thinking that I would win the title and go to Europe. My dad's like, we're going to Europe. So I was like, I haven't even won a title in a couple of years. Like, you know, like, nope, you'll, you'll get content and you'll lose that forward momentum. We're going to Europe. So we did. Fuck. Once again, got thrown in the deep end. I was 15 years old. Show up at Lommel in the middle of winter. Talk about a fish out of water, dude. I was terrible. I mean, it was so bad. I got lapped twice the second moto. I got lapped the first moto wow. convincingly and lapped twice at a Belgium championship. And... <laughs> I just remember thinking, <laughs> you know, like someone's like, how do you find half a second or a second? I'm like, how do you find five goddamn minutes in a moto? Like, this is not, <laughs> we're not talking small gaps. Yeah, we're talking significant. So what do we do? We just rode in those shitty conditions every freaking day. I hated, I would dread going to the track, but I went from being completely terrible and I took sand riding to being one of my strengths. So the whole thing for me is it was sink or swim, and I was able to find a way eventually to stay afloat and just keep progressing. And um, I don't know if it's a combination of talent. I do believe a lot of grit and determination makes a lot of riders who they are. I think talent only takes you so far. I've seen a lot of kids that I've ridden with that I would tell you hands down have far more natural ability than I do. But I think they lacked in other areas, which was probably because they didn't come from South Africa with no money and no direction. Mm. How, so like you're still super close with your dad, you guys are in business together. Um, how do you manage that relationship with your dad and not think your dad's a fuckwit <laughs> when he's doing all that shit? Dude? Well, that's certainly crossed my mind several times. Um, no, we've, <laughs> we definitely, I mean, we've butt heads even when it comes to business, you know, we, we have employees and we'll be in a meeting and I, I swear it's like they're watching a tennis match they just what's Gerald gonna say what's Grant <laughs> gonna say oh and we'll go at it and people are like oh dude they're so pissed at each other and then at the end of the day he's like hey you want to grab a beer five minutes later you're sweet yeah, yeah. yeah. we're gonna have a beer and shoot the shit and move on so he was I think he was raised in a bit of a strict household and he's always handled things his way and I think I've been able to channel that stuff. And I, I know some kids get a little resentful towards their parents when they push so hard. But I, I always reminded myself from a young age, I asked for this. I wanted to go to Europe. I told him I want to be a world champion. I want, I, I want to follow in Albertine's footsteps. I want to go to Europe, try and win a world title, and then go to the U.S. And uh, I knew I, I just knew I always was going to end up in America. So I knew I was going to have to learn Supercross and, you know, just make make the jump do all these other things so um yeah i can't be mad at a guy when i said i'm prepared to put it all out on the table he made sure i put it all mm. out the table 24 7 so um yeah it was tough at times but 
I always knew deep down it was because he wanted the best for me. Yeah, and I guess there's probably for like your dad to pull it off. There's probably had to be some like real genuine shit in his heart as well towards it too, and like really like wanting it for the right reasons. Because I mean, I see a lot of people that I mean, even like not even just parents. Like, there's guys that are just like friends of writers, and they like trying to help them achieve their goals, and then they it like sours the milk in a way because they sort of want it more for themselves, and they want it for their kid. So sure. I feel like there must have been, like with Gerald, there must have been some uh, r- like real balance and perspective there um, and not kind of wanting the glory for himself in a way because that's the shit that fucks it up, I reckon. Yeah, uh, no, my dad raced himself. Um, um, my grandfather passed away basically when my mom had just had me. So uh, he didn't have a great relationship with his father. And I think from what I've heard from my mom and just family members was he was a bit tough and him and my dad weren't that close. My dad was always tough with me, but we were close. We did everything together. You know, we traveled to all the nationals. He built my bikes. Um, I remember I used to get pissed off because when I was on, especially 80s, I would win and everyone was like, well, his bike's the fastest, that's all. And my dad would build my competitors' engines for them. And these parents had maybe no budget. So he put all the trick stuff on, they would dyno it, and it's way quicker than my bike. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're helping the competition? He's like, well, just twist the throttle. He goes, if you're the best rider, you're gonna beat them still. And I, you know, for a young kid who's 12 or whatever, I'm like telling my friends, this guy is building my competitors' engines, like WTF, what the hell? Like, and his thing is, I need the money. You wanna go to the race? Well, I need gas money to get you there. It's a long cross-country trip and my credit card, I tried to swipe it this morning, it didn't go through, so I can't even put gas in the truck. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess you gotta do what you gotta do. So I think that also helped prepare me in, in a, maybe he didn't intend to in that sense, but he prepared me for, you're a bad dude, outride everyone, and don't worry about the little shit. Don't worry about who's got the bling, who's got new graphics, don't, don't worry about that. Worry about yourself, just ring the shit out of that motor and it'll, it'll last and you'll be fine. So that'll mm. also help, you know, just I think build that inner confidence in yourself that, hey, you know what, I'm actually a pretty good rider. Even in on inferior equipment, I, I believe I can beat these guys. Yeah, man, it's pretty cool when you get like those like legit good old boys that grew up in in that era, you know, like I, I uh-huh. look at my dad and, uh, you know, there's some funny quotes that my dad's got that, you know, I'll have like an Olympic gold medalist on the podcast or I'll have like, you know, someone fucking that's done so much in their life. And then I'll drop a quote and they're like, oh, damn, he said that. I was like, oh, that's just like my dad's thing, man. You know, like my dad always used to say that. And um, it's uh-huh. just like these little, it, it's like that old boy wisdom. And, you know, my dad didn't do nothing like spectacular. He didn't get any, you know, crazy accolades or anything. But I think, you know, he grew up really fucking tough, like in a, you know, small town sure. and with a, you know, farming background, that all that shit. And it's just like, there's some real hard knocks wisdom that can uh, yeah, that can no shine through in those old boys. Well, even sometimes I, I I guess when I'm announcing or whatever, you know, 
I don't overthink things and sometimes sayings or, or words just roll off your tongue and I've had people go where did that come from and I'm like actually my dad said that once you know and so many times these little uh, sayings yeah. or quotes or whatever even because even, in America sometimes they're like I didn't even really know what that meant but now that you've explained that I get it you know so yeah I got a lot of that kind of you know, one of the one of the terms I always wanted to use, but obviously can't use it on live TV, which my dad always said, because there'd always be chatter before the first round, this and that, and he'd always say, hey, when the gate drops, the bullshit stops. And that yeah, was his famous yeah, quote yeah. right there. And uh, yeah. I've always wanted to use that, but I keep that one in the back of my mind. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's pretty cool, man. It's funny, like the, the thing with me too like our dad was like super strict on us and like a lot of our shit was just like necessity sort of stuff you know like sure. uh we didn't come from a lot of money and like dad would be doing these renovations on the house like he'd trying to like extend our house uh you know to build this nicer pad for everyone and we like we built this patio once and it took like months to to for dad to build like this fucking patio at the back of the house and uh I'm like a 10 year old or 12 year old my brother's a 10 year old and we're like we're just holding up sheets of of uh, uh-huh. like you know ceiling sheets and dad's like pop riveting these things and we're just like kids under this fucking you know under under these sheets doing this construction work and then you're doing a driveway and he's like recruits me and my mates like hey if you boys move all of this gravel then I'm, I'll go to the uh, I'll go to the the raw materials place i'll get the gravel then you guys get it out and then you guys shovel it, and then i'll take you to riding tomorrow and it was just like you'd work all fucking day and the next day you'd be too sort of even ride. too sort of right but it yeah. was just like th- those lessons like and but the the funny thing is is like in the moment you just like resent it you're just like fuck yeah. this guy like just take me riding bro like all i want to do is ride my bike i don't want to build the shed that the bike goes in i just want to fucking ride the bike and uh and now i look back on my life i'm like god damn dude you hooked me up massive yeah it's all how you look at it and and i think you've got the the same kind of outlook i have is they did the most they could with us were they perfect all the time probably not (laughs) i don't think i was either as a kid but um yeah we had to earn our keep the only the the only good thing that i did do once unintentionally uh, he's like, you need to learn to work on your bike more. I'm tired of doing everything. I was like, okay. So I changed the oil and I obviously got distracted by something shiny, but I put the drain plug in, but only finger tight. And it was a brand new Oof. 125, just got it from Cowie. And when I say this thing seized, it locked up. Like you, they couldn't even press it apart. <laughs> it was fucked. And he was so angry, so angry and you're not getting pocket money for the rest of your fucking life you know and I'm like okay I'm okay with that <laughs> just just get the bike fixed so we can go riding and uh so all I was ever allowed to do is wash it and air filters and even air filter like I couldn't put the seat on until he checked it was placed properly and all that but um yeah it all comes back to like you said I had to do chores I had I had to recruit my mates and go hey you want to have a sleepover yeah 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 oh by the way Guess what we're doing in the morning? <laughs> we're doing manual labor, but we will go to the track at some point. So uh, I can relate a lot to that. Yeah, and, and you know, like you look back at it now, and I just I'm so thankful that that's the way you know that's the way that it was, and and I think that you know it speaks to that like genuine nature of like 
I mean, I guess maybe it's just like my dad was just trying to get by, do his best and take his kids to track and take his kids ride. And there was like, there's no part of him that had like this excess time to think about his kids being stars or his kids, you know, it was just doing everything to just get there. And it was like a real organic, genuine thing. And then I think because it was like that, um, that there was some real lessons in there that, you know, that I end up, I ended up taking out of it. And then it's just like, I look at, any of the successes that I've had in my life and I kind of owe it to those lessons absolutely I mean I I even look at what happened in, in our family and I think my dad um, to your point earlier as much as it was my dream I think he enjoyed being a you know being a motocross enthusiast uh, he had traveled a little bit before helping other people he was when I was injured, he was a mechanic for a, a rider at Motocross of Nations in 93 and then 94. So my dad had a chance to kind of just see what it was like on the world stage in motocross around the world. And I I think, of course, it was a part of him that's like, we, we've come this far. I'd love to see my son actually get to that point. And uh, and, and we did. And, and they sacrificed a lot. You know, I've, I've obviously talked a lot about my, my dad on this show, but... My my parents got divorced. They're now they're now remarried. My mom's the, no uh, way. She she's the real boss at Langston Motorsports. Me and my dad just ask her for permission to spend money. So she's our accountant, bookkeeper, partner, and all that. But yeah, my parents got divorced. You know, they never they always say it's not because of you, the kids. But I I know the main factor was racing because me and my dad were gone and mm. my parents were broke and my mom was left at home most of the time you know, by herself, flat broke, nothing to do. And I think it put a lot of strain on the relationship. And, um, you know, I think looking back, I'm sure knowing what I know now, what my dad knows now, we probably would have done things a little bit different. But the cool thing for me out of this whole scenario was racing, you could argue, pulled us apart and then racing pulled us together as a tight knit family. And my sister works in the company part time. She's got two young kids, she's married to Jay Dungey, Ryan's brother. So she's oh, she's wow. over here down the street. Yeah, so so Jade's my brother-in-law and um you know, we were just talking to him about some stuff. He's got some changes coming up in in his uh future, which I don't think I can reveal, <laughs> but he'll be revealing oh, that pretty yeah. soon, but it's pretty cool. It's about to do with next year and I think he's making a good good decision and um yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting to to have the the Dungey as in-laws and my parents remarried and my sister's got kids, I got kids. You know, it, it is funny when you kind of take a step back sometimes and go, how do we end up here? But this is cool, you know, this is interesting. It's very unique. You don't hear too many stories like that. No, nah, man, I that's crazy to think that they come together and got me remarried. When did that, like, when did that happen to where that, or like what was the thing that brought them back together? Um, pretty much when I had a bad femur injury uh, when I was 13, I disintegrated my femur and, uh, you know, I've been the first to, to tell people you cannot ride or be a racer and not have medical insurance. Well, I didn't know, but my parents couldn't afford medical insurance. We didn't have it. And I'd never really had an injury up until then. And then this was a bad one. And uh, I know I put a lot of strain on the on the family. I was in and out of hospital, had multiple surgeries. They wanted to amputate my leg at one point because they said it wasn't wow. salvageable. Yeah, it, it, it imploded. And um, they were basically saying it's shrapnel. There's nothing to pin or plate. It's like, it's just all floating 
uh, shrapnel, you know. So after several surgeries, I think three surgeries, and like two raw, uh, two, two plates, a rod, and 38 screws, and uh, a bone graft. They took bone from my hip. They were able to salvage it, but it was, it was a long recovery road. And then I think I remember seeing my mom just writing letters to doctors, anesthetists, nurses, like with tears in our eyes, asking them if they would reduce their costs and help us out. And you know, this was all handwritten notes back then, you know. And I think that put that was maybe the straw that kind of broke the camel's back as far as their relationship. I think it really put a tough. I mean, I could hear them arguing. I could see the the pain in my mom's eyes. And it wasn't long after that, probably within a year, they decided to separate and get divorced. And then it was only about a year after that that me and my dad went to Europe. And it got to a point where my mom was in a pharmaceutical company and they, she put in a, a application for a, tra- a job transfer. And lo and behold, mm-hmm. the job transfer, that the, the spot that opened up was San Diego, California. And uh, I remember talking no to my mom and she's like, hey, you know, you're in Europe with your dad, so I don't really get to see you. I want to do something different for your sister and myself. She goes, I have an opportunity to go to America. You know, if I move there, would you come visit? And I said, hell yeah. I said, lo and behold, I said, this little cocky kid has a plan. Next year, I'm going to kick everyone's ass in Europe and then I'm heading to America. So at the end of 99, I came to America, visited with my mom. My dad came with me. And then all of a sudden, one evening, we're hanging out. And I'm like, oh, these, these two rekindling something here? Because all of a sudden, there was no arguing. And they were getting along great. And it was like, I think for me and my sister, it was kind of like, I really hope. Like, I, we didn't know if we were being optimistic or if they were just getting along. Yeah. But after, after that trip, we, me and my dad went to Europe. And I remember I, I got on the plane. I'm like... I loved the time I spent out here. I spent time at my mom's place just outside San Diego. I rode in Temecula in this area a lot, which is now my new adopted home. Um, but I remember on the plane, I said to my dad, I've, I've, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna win this world championship. And I said, I'm gonna do it. And then at that point I go, I really believe we'll have the phone ringing and people will want me and maybe we can make a decision then. And truth God, a few months later, after I think four rounds into the championship, I get a call out of the blue and I just, it's Grant. And I'm like, Grant? No one calls me Grant, it's Grant. You know, but I, I realized this is not, not a friend from South Africa calling and I just say, hey Grant, this is Mitch Payton from Pro Circuit Kawasaki. I've been, I've been following your career and I must say you've really impressed me for a 17 year old. Do you have any interest in writing for me in America? And I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I said, this is a dream phone call, like no joke. I mean, I remember I was sitting in the passenger seat with like goosebumps. I'm like, Mitch Payton just called me and wants me to ride for him. And I'm like, we didn't, my dad's like, did he discuss any money? I'm like, no, I forgot to ask it any other question. I was just stoked, <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's just crazy how in a matter of three or four years, life and the family life seemed a little bit pretty down or you know times on the downside and then a few years later i signed a great deal and it came down to pro circuit kawasaki or red bull ktm and i stayed with ktm out of loyalty i it was a really tough decision to make but i thought hey i think i'm making the right decision and uh, ktm was good to me don't get me wrong i just think going from a factory ktm to a production ktm was taking a step back whereas the pro circuit bikes were so Ooh. good in america like at the gps i think they had an okay program 
with Jan's team, Jan de Groot. But in America, Mitch's bikes were sensational. And I didn't, didn't know all of that before I came. So my decision was based on what I thought was best. But the fact that I had this multiple offers from, I mean, I had offers to stay in Europe and um, I had a, a, good, a good money paying offer from Husqvarna. I had a, a good money offer from Honda and KTM were like, you can ride 125 GP, 125 nationals, 250 GP, whatever you want, just please stay with us type thing. So they were pretty cool. Like whatever you want, we'll, we'll work with you. And, uh, and then next thing, you know, here I am with, with a nice contract and parents remarry. And shortly after that, we started our, our uh, motorcycle shop, which is something that we, me and my dad actually talked about. I rode for a dealership as a kid and I always loved hanging out at the dealership because he would build my bikes in the back at the workshop because they had all the tools, they had oils and contact cleaner. Like we were so poor, I remember saying to my dad, like, why don't you just build a bike at home? He's like, I don't have all the tools and I don't have any oil and I don't have any contact cleaner and I don't have any money to buy it. So we're doing it at the dealership. Oh, okay, I won't ask any more questions. I get it, I respect that. So we, I actually said, I wanna have a dealership one day, you know, because of all those memories, you know, moving forward. So yeah, it, it's kind of a crazy whirlwind story of, of me and my family, but the fact that we're all together and close and we're not struggling financially, you know, that's a great feeling too. My parents are well off now, I'm well off, and it's because of this crazy dream. Fuck, bro, I got full-on goosebumps. That might be one of the most epic stories on Gypsy Tales ever. And that it's, is it's, so it's, sick. It's true. Like, it's there's no BS in that. It's 100% legit. Man, yeah, you put the GNGL, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Damn, yeah, well, it takes it takes it takes a it takes a crazy family to 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 do it with you. You know, this couldn't I couldn't have done it on a one man journey. I, that's why at times I I have said this to people. I respect the shit out of the reads that two teenagers that were sweethearts in high school packed their bags and Dude. did what they did. I don't know if people can. I can. Re, I, I feel like I can relate more than most. But that whole thing too. It's 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 pretty remarkable. Yeah, man, like no one, I mean, I know stuff through, the, like there was actually 40 minutes of the podcast with Chad that we cut out and um, I haven't really spoke it. about it, but there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that in the end, like I spoke to Chad and I was like, oh, like, what do you think? Like, do you want to keep this in, take it out? Um, so we took it out. People don't even know, like people know a little bit. But people don't know how hard yeah. that was for Chad and the the the, oh, the sure. fallout. Uh, you you would know um, because you guys are personal friends. But like, it is absolutely remarkable that uh, Chad and Ellie were able to do what they did and create the life that that they did. And it's the dude the same on your end, you know, like to have that pressure of a family breaking up and you know as a kid i'm sure for you it's like fuck the motocross like if we could just have like a cool happy family and like not struggle financially sure. and like live together it's like fuck the motocross you know uh yeah. and i'm sure that there's like probably a huge part of chad that um there was like similar feelings maybe in a way like obviously not speaking for him but like for sure. it to work out the way that it did on your end like man i i had no idea that is an absolutely incredible story yeah it's it's as i say it's it's very unique and i think it, it speaks to obviously where i came from and and the route that we did it and the guy that's the most similar age that also 
lived in one on one continent, moved to another continent, did very well, and then moved to another continent. You know, uh, there's not a lot of people that have had that kind of world experience at that age, and the fact that they had that drive and motivation. And and I've I remember even being at OzX, we were at the um, we were at the bar after the race one of the evenings, and um, I remember even chatting with Chad's parents, you know, from them directly because a lot of the information I got, you know, was through Chad and that. And yeah. you know, you could tell that there there was some 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 probably tough times in in the family in that. But what was what I thought was really cool was that they were all there and able to hang out and and you could see the the love from the parents to the kid kid to the parents and you know i even said to chad i said you know are you guys good and he mentioned you know it's been a it's been a bit of an up and down situation at times but he goes i feel like we're mending things and i'm like life's too short to to hold on to grudges and i go it is easy for us um i'm guilty of it i'm sure we could all say at some point we've had to learn to just let the little stuff go because you hold that up, man, you'll just never be comfortable with either what you accomplished. Cause even for me this time, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, people go, man, you accomplish a lot. I'm like, I'm not a 450 supercross champ. You know, that's my way yeah. of looking at it. And everyone's like, yeah, but you, you won everything else. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't win that. So it's, it's also that outlook, you know, it, nothing, nothing goes according to, I've also said this before, make a plan and life will not go accordingly. It'll definitely just yeah. go, if here's your plan, I feel like you're bouncing left and right of center all the time, but at least you have something to look forward to. But if you think your life's gonna go according to this little notepad you wrote out on how you're gonna do everything and at what time frame, good luck. <laughs> you better learn to adjust very quick. Man, I, I completely agree. And I think that uh, I think that as soon as I accepted, like that was one of the things like growing up kind of poor, um, that I, I wish that I could go back. I mean, obviously I can't and I'm fine now, but I, w- I would yeah. love to see how much better my life could have been if I let go of that as a kid. And it's like, and to have the perspective that like there's so, like literally like millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people worse off than what I was, you know, but like when you're in that mode oh, and absolutely. then you're, you're like so stuck in that, and yeah, it, de- it definitely affected me, but I think it pushed me onto, you know, where I I am now. But I think, dude, there was just a point where I just accepted that life is supposed to be so fucking hard. Like the 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 thought of anything otherwise, like, and you know, to go back to Hayden Deegan, you like, you might think that the red carpet has been rolled out for that kid. It still would be so fucking hard to be him. Like. If you get transplanted into anyone's body anywhere, dude, it is so hard to be a person navigating exactly what you said. There's plans that you've got for your life. And then, you know, you've got this random chance that comes and just interrupts things. And then you get given this, uh, you get kind of given this way that you can respond to something and you're kind of not even in control of that. You know, like the way you respond to something is basically predicated on like how you've responded to everything else in your life you know so it's just like i think that the minute you can really accept that life is super fucking hard and you just got to embrace the struggle you know and then i think as well like purposely put yourself in struggle because the only way that you 
can get good at overcoming struggle is practice essentially you know so if like 100%. if you have this aversion to struggle then you you literally cannot grow so you've got to put yourself like in that uh those fucked up situations as much as you can within reason you know sure, but sure. i think you know for me like my mind's jujitsu like i go there you know tonight i'm really sore i'm struggling with my shoulders like i know i'm gonna get beat to shit and it's like that sucks <laughs> but you just but i'm signed up so it, i'm going <laughs> yeah but uh, but i paid the membership but you know yeah, I there think you go. That, yeah as soon as you you can really embrace uh embrace the struggle um you know your life can be fucking pretty beautiful as a result of it i I personally believe that the um, having some of those struggles at a younger age helps build the character and helps you overcome it sooner. I almost feel like if parents or just you know youngsters, your your mindset or, or, or the way we like to handle things in life is let's avoid what's difficult or let's try take yes. the easy route, and then later on in life those people tend to have the big struggles, whether it's um, you know relationship uh, maybe it's uh, depression maybe it's um uh they're not successful like they hope to be or financially stable so a part of me feels like when you get that kind of uh a rude awakening to what life is at a young age you, yeah once you get past that like for me i feel like i i enjoy life i appreciate life now um i experience a lot for, for a young at a young age you know by 21 i travel the world you know and and you know, it was making good money, and you know, just it's not a normal thing for a normal human being. It is a pretty rare situation. And uh, again, glad that my family always kept me grounded because their big thing is we don't want to raise a little cocky shit. So anytime they thought maybe I was getting a little out of line, I got the reins pulled mm. in pretty hard. Even if it, even when I was like, dude, I was not even that big a deal, Dad. He'd just be like, well. I, I don't like that attitude, you know. I'm like, jeez, I didn't even say anything, you know. And uh, so going through that earlier, now you look back, you're like, okay, it makes sense, you know. It, mm. we, subconsciously, we want to avoid anything that's difficult and take the, the, the path of least resistance. And I think that'll catch up with you eventually. I, I didn't know it at the time, but my life kind of went the other way around where it was my toughest times were actually as a teenager. And it wasn't because I was being yeah. bullied at school or... Um, you know, I was I was kind of one of the cool kids at school because, you know, even at school, you know, in South Africa where motocross is not big, it's still a cool sport. So, uh, you know, it was more just from, fa you know, family struggles, financial issues, um, you know, just going from, you know, well, actually, as a teenager, I went from South Africa to Belgium to Holland to America. So four countries in like five years. Um, so it, it was a lot of huge uh, changes and adjusting and and um, but at the same time as I'm traveling I'm like you know Europe's cool and it's a beautiful place to visit but I was like it's just not for me it's not that kind of lifestyle mm. like I've said it before I think besides America um, Australia would probably be my second choice because of everything I've mentioned I've traveled I know the I know the people I know the culture I know kind of what what I'd be getting into and I know that I'd be happy with that yeah yeah no no definitely i definitely know what you're saying so with um you you get that contract right so there's a couple of things i want to kind of talk about there but you get that contract in the u.s and it's a decent paying deal 
How do you, how do you deal with the money situation um, with knowing that your parents have put in so much money? Because that's something that fucks up so many relationships. It's something Absolutely. that I've never spoke to someone uh, about um, directly, but I feel like you're open enough to talk about that shit. Like you get that first big contract. How in your when you're a, a, a kid essentially, and you've been given that much money, knowing everything that your parents did, how did you approach that situation? Had you, had you and your dad ever spoke about it or was it like, we how, did. how does that work? And I think that's obviously an important part of it. You know, a lot of times I think when you see uh, families where you get these uh, monetary issues, it was because no one was open or discussed it. And dad might be thinking this way and son's thinking that way or however it goes. And now all of a sudden there's, there's a bit of an this issue. This is an elephant in the room. <clears throat> Exactly. And no one wants to talk about it. I think generally speaking, um, maybe that's changing a little bit. But, you know, I knew that my parents, well, you know, when I came over, my mom was already here. It was me and my dad and uh, my uncle Andrew came over as well. My dad's younger brother, he he ended up being my mechanic. So my dad was kind of like a, a guardian, an agent a father, all this kind of stuff. And so when I came to America, I was still a little bit nervous because um, when I signed my contract, I was 17. When I got here, I just turned 18. But um, at least for me, um, I know other guys would go, yeah, I I would have probably not needed my parents around, but I felt like I needed some help and guidance. You know, just, it can be a little overwhelming when you're a kid dealing with grown men all the time. Uh, You can Mm. almost feel potentially a little bit bullied or, uh, uncertain of upsetting the apple cart or you don't want to say the wrong thing but you want to tell him the bike needs to be better so he he was able to help me with that and then also too I'm not the bad guy it's him so sometimes when you hear oh his dad's an asshole it's mm. kind of like yeah no I know that's his job kind of is to be the asshole so it, do- it doesn't fall on someone else but I I had structured a deal where my dad was on on my payroll and um and I remember it, it was for the first year. And then we were talking and, and he was the one that said, here's my thought. You're starting to make pretty good money. He goes, I know you, you'll blow it if I let you. And he said, what about investing in, you know, we talked about a bike shop, whatever. And he said, that way, you're not having to physically pay me to hang around. I can get on my own two feet and earn my own living and build something that we have that you will take over and have your mm. retirement basically be here. And I said, let's do it. You know, like, let's let's start, you know, and of course I'm like, where the fuck do we start? You know, dad, I need you now, yeah. you know, start a business, let's do this. So there again, I was focused on racing and you know, him and my mom started working on the plans and the location and all that. And we just did it as a team and we built it from, you know, just a little mom and pop shop near uh, Elsinore track to a, a multi-line dealership that's a little further away, but next to the freeway. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, even today I was in the, in the shop, I'm like, we have so much product in here, it's unbelievable. Like we went a little ham during the uh, COVID, you know, when other people are getting nervous and closing and, and canceling orders, I saw I saw this spike and I'm like I think we need to pony up and and hit this head on and we did and we wow. we had a sensational last you know uh, I would say at least a year it was just crazy and a lot of people ran out of product and that and we were at the right place right time so it's cool my parents are building their dream retirement house at the moment up on the hill 
and uh, um, they're probably going to phase out, and I'll be I'll run it for a, for a while, and then uh, yeah, um, who knows after that if if they're out and I'm bored, maybe I'll look for something different. But at the moment, we've got this good family working relationship, and uh, yeah, through all of it, I'm still impressed that we've been able to keep it keep it nice and clean. That's sensational, dude. Like to do what you guys have done as a family. Like honestly, and I, I knew bits and pieces of the story, but not this detail. Like it is fucking unreal. Yeah, and and the the thing is, you know, where I'm glad is everything was kind of talked about in advance. So you know, mm. I know like some people are like. Yeah, well, like I've heard some kids say, yeah, you know, my parents took my money. And uh, I'm like, yeah, but I know your parents mortgaged the house and this and that. Were you prepared to help them? Well, you know, and they kind of look like, yeah, but it's my money. I go, I agree. And fair enough. That, that That's your opinion. It is your money. Um, but my my thing was I knew I knew from the evenings when my parents were, you know, arguing over financial issues and racing, you know, what they went through and where they came from. So there was never any resentment to help my parents out either. And I, I think sometimes mm. for kids, they get so used to this. It's because you don't realize it as a racer, but we're actually all become pretty selfish because you get to a point where you're paid a lot of money and there's a team of people running around after you and some of them are kissing your ass um, because that's kind of their job, you know. They want to make sure that they're still the the agent or whoever. They still but got a job. Yeah, they they want to keep their job, you know. And then you know, obviously, there's your parents going. You know, my dad would always be the first to go. God, that guy's a cocksucker. Like, you know, just stay away from him. You know, mm-hmm. he he'll tell you whatever you want to hear. You know, I'll tell it to you straight. I'm like, oh, I know. So, you know, that old <laughs> saying. Blood is thicker than water, and through it all, we were always able to, to, to figure it out. Even even if it was a bit of a, a debate or a back and forth, I feel like we've always walked away at least going, I'm happy, he's happy, she's happy, cool, let's let's do this. Mm. You're, you're always better off working as a team than, than everyone kind of being pissy with each other and going in their own direction, I think. Yeah, yeah, man, honestly, sen- that is a sensational story. And that's a, I think that's something that, yeah, a lot of kids could um, could kind of look look towards because um, fuck, I've heard some horror stories, dude. Like legitimate it, horror stories. It is. It, it it is sad. And sometimes when you look at these stories, I feel like saying your situation wasn't wasn't as intense as mine, but we 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 worked through it. Um, you know, I've I've seen it where people. It's just it gets a point where there's so much like animosity. No one can even sit down and have a, a cordial conversation. It just turns into, you know what? And, yeah. and, and I hate to say this, but a lot of time there, it's at that age where whoever the writer is, he's Girls. doing pretty well, he's making money, and then a chicky comes along, and the parents think she's there for the money or she's a distraction. She thinks the parents are out of control. He's getting his first, you know, little something something on the side he's just stoked so mom and dad get kind of shunned a little bit more and then and then you kind of see a few years later it does full circle but a lot of times the damage is done already though that's been the problem blood is thicker than water 100 percent. and it would be and i know 
that there's a couple of cases where like parents really fucked over their kid um but for the most part yeah. you're right like it sort of ends up circling um circling back when you started to make like good money uh when you go from being poor to being rich <laughs> like what's that feel like to be honest I, i'm kind of probably glad i had my parents around because i think i would have blown a lot of it you know uh i'll be the first to admit coming from no money and then just walking up to a dealership and going i could buy any car in here oh i could buy two if i wanted to it's a weird feeling to be to be honest like it seems a little surreal at times and i was i had to also realize hey the checks are rolling in nice every month but i wasn't putting a whole lot away i was buying a house furniture car or truck then a car then some toys and then you know so it was probably a good thing having my parents saying hey listen you've got you know you've built up a nice little establishment here if you just keep going down that road you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna wake up and really regret it so they they also helped me um you know kind of just to be a little level-headed because yeah uh, coming from no money it was uh i think very easy for, even for um other people because you almost lose the value of a dollar um you know when mm. you're a kid and you're counting your pennies it's one thing then all of a sudden you just go look at your bank account and you're like oh yeah there's another 75 grand yeah, the other check cleared this month hmm what are we going to do you know rather than you know it'd be better just to not even look at your bank account and just have someone mm. funnel some of that money away from you just let you live on what you need because like i said you could live very comfortably in america on, on 150 grand very comfortably but there was years mm. I spent like half a million, you know, just, and I was justifying it even like, oh, you know, cost of living, you know, trainer, eating out, yeah. you know, flying first class every now and then. Oh, I deserve, you know, you always justify it. I deserve it. I've earned this. I deserve it. You know, and then um, as I got older, I was like, oh, hang on a second. It's really hard to make that kind of money when you're not a professional athlete at the top of his game. So, um, yeah. It's certainly been interesting, and uh, I've definitely blown a lot of money over the years, but I'm also glad I made some pretty good investments and um, used that money to make money. And so what's the point where you figure out that money kind of doesn't buy happiness? Yeah, well, I, I think I experienced that when after I went through my eye cancer issue in my eye, I had... I had plenty mm. of money, but I I had no purpose. And I remember just, it was the first time just feeling, I don't know exactly where the depression starts and just sadness ends or whatever, but I was certainly yeah. close to the edge of being depressed because I was, I remember just being kind of miserable. You know, I had a, uh, like I said, I had, at the time I was happily married, had, you know, kids, um, money in the bank, nice house, all this stuff, but I was miserable. And, um, and, and to mm. be honest, I think, I think that probably weighed on my marriage. You know, I, I take some responsibility that I was, I know I was a, a miserable bastard at, at points in my life. And I think the ex just didn't know how to handle me because I was a little bit different the way we were raised and everything. And, and, uh, we just, didn't really see eye to eye for a while. Now I look back and I'm like, hey, I'll, 
I'll be a man and take some responsibility. I think I made yeah. some mistakes. I think she could have been better and more understanding and maybe a, she was also young, but you know, where I would say, I wish she was maybe would have helped me more rather than, you know, be like, well, don't make your problems my problem. So mm. there's always a lot to be learned. And the nice thing now is um, she's, she's a good, good mom to the kids. We're good friends. She's remarried. And I know a lot of times for guys, it's hard because we have egos, but she's married to a dude that's really solid. He was a, a race car driver. Um, my kids dig him. You know, they get to go into sports cars all the time and whatever. So, you know, based on how that all went, um, like I can look back and go, you know, it. I'm, I'm glad for her. I think she's obviously glad for me. And um, I've been been able to move forward without any um, without any hard feelings and just go, you know, that was a moment or a period of my life that I didn't didn't know how to handle it. I wasn't set up. It wasn't yeah. anything planned. I didn't plan for it. It just happened, and I, f I felt like, oh, why me? You know, like I, I'm a victim, and you know, the minute you sit there feeling sorry for yourself as a victim, you do. I, I had friends tell me, yeah, you were, you were a miserable bastard there for a period. You know, like you, hey, let's go do this. No, you know, and I was, <laughs> and that's not really me. I'm Mr. Social. So, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of life lessons for sure that I've dealt with, and uh, but. What that old saying is, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I really feel like it's made me a stronger person and a more appreciative of everything and everyone around me. Mm. Yeah, no, totally. I had a, a bit of a, a recent insight. I like had a, was having a conversation with a friend and, um, and we we're talking about just relationships in general. And, uh, and I mean, I talk about a lot on here. I spend quite a lot of time like meditating and studying um, a lot of the different, I guess, different avenues in that. And it's been something sure. that's really, 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 really helped my life. And I try not to talk about it to the point of being a heretic on here. Um, but, you know, we were talking about like, I guess the nature of like what reality is in terms of the way that we like have a physical contact with the outside world. Like we're if you think about you know what we actually are it's like it's a brain inside of a vat it's like a you know a brain in a tub uh -huh. of our of our skull we're not directly interfacing with reality in the way that i think we think we are most of the time i think we take it for granted that it's like i'm just looking out a window in my head it's like well it's not really a window in your head there's light that's hitting these four photoreceptors that are at the back of your sure. eyeball and then that then is turned into like this internal projection then you've got hearing and you've got smell and it's like these five senses amalgamate and create like your reality and then you add the sure. internal thoughts inside that and the moods and you know all of the the contents of that conscious experience and so we we're kind of talking about it and it was like you kind of build your own reality and then if if you talk to somebody if we talk about you talk about south africa for example i've never been there right so there's this whole reality inside your head that i just don't have access to I have sure. no appreciation for it. And and what I do is you tell me about it and then I try and build that into my own reality in my head. And it sort of, it sounds kooky in a way, but when you're looking at relationships, it's like you've got this one reality in this person's head and this one reality in this person's head and there's a certain amount of it that's shared. That you share the bills, you share a bed, you share a house, you share kids. You share. So there is this like, there's this like overlap between people's reality. But like, what's the percentage? 
you know, like that you guys actually overlap. It's this tiny fraction. Like I have access to this tiny, 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 tiny fraction of the reality that, that you experience. And I think that, you know, when it comes to relationships, we have this like expectation that people understand what, how I feel and how I think. And, and I think the people that you get along the best with, and this is like one of Sammy's sayings is like, you can be anything you want as long as you're consistent. And I think that that and lends itself to like a good friendship, right? So me and Sam fucking love that dude. He's as close to family as you could get without being family, you know? And part of that becomes down to I think the fact that we share reality like there's a really big percentage of us like we've known each other for 15 plus years and we've been so close we've been through so much together he's he's seen me literally on a deathbed in hospital you know like he's made flights to come and visit me when I was fucked up like and, and then there's this uh because you share so much of each other's reality i'm able to predict so well what sure. he's gonna say how he feels how he thinks so i just think we all really take for granted and, and in these relationships and in my relationships going forward just after having this one conversation i'm just trying to give people the benefit of the doubt of like fuck do i have access to one percent of you and like i do it you know what's the overlap and and when you you know you look at it as a test it's like a if i'm not getting 51 percent of your you know share 51 percent of your reality like i'm not even at a c plus dude like i'm failing sure, constantly sure. to understand you know who who you actually are and i think that um you know that's something that i'm sort of taking forward now and, and just trying to live from this space of like i probably know one percent of what's going on <laughs> well you know i I look at it even from that other uh, perspective, which is with with the, my life and the way things went, it's, it's very unusual, uh, you know, the route and everything like that. But I struggle sometimes when to relate when people are like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, you obviously went to prom. I'm like, no. I was uh, I was yeah. in Europe. I, I dropped out of high school to chase my dreams. I didn't go to a prom. I didn't go to college I've never had a desk job I I struggled with exams and tests because my brain couldn't focus on what was in front of me I was thinking about everything else and I was like dude this thing's a distraction to my riding right now like I should be out there riding I'm yeah. looking out the window and I can see other kids just really thinking about the test and I'm just thinking man it is a beautiful day and I'm stuck in here so I've had a, a hard time sometimes trying to relate to people that have what I would consider very normal, consistent life that did high yeah. school, went to college, got a degree, got an office job, worked their way up in the company. And they're like, you can relate, can't you, Grant? I'm like, oh, hell no. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about, mate. <laughs> like, no, way different. Yeah. And to I think that, yeah, when sometimes the the problems we run into in like a relationship setting whether it's like a friend or a partner or whatever is just like having this expectation that we're on the same page way more than we are sure. it's like fuck we might own the same book but we're probably not on the same page yeah yeah, yeah. and i've had that too even just um uh my uh, girlfriend that i was with for seven years we split up earlier this year and it was kind of i felt a little bit like what you're just describing the way she grew up and the way I grew up, I'm like, you know, when you look, you're like, it was pretty much about 180 degrees apart from each other. Yeah. And and I think that was kind of refreshing 
at times because she found me interesting, mm. I found her interesting because of how different things were. But then we struggled with just finding common ground on a lot of basic things. You know, mm. like you said, I could look at that, she looked at the same thing, but we had two different opinions on what it was, how it was made, where it came from, is it useful, what color was, you know. And there were times I could tell she was looking at me and I'm looking at her and it's kind of like, wait, what? Are we looking at the same thing? <laughs> yeah. Are we talking about the same thing? And, uh, you know, even, you know, we had blended family and all that. So whether it was parenting or just where, you know, with discipline, like, you know, I still encourage discipline because I don't want to raise little punks. And, and I felt like she was maybe a little easier going in that aspect. Um, but there were areas that she showed me things where I was like, you know what, I, I get that. Like, that's pretty cool. I never would have thought mm. that. Or that's not how I was raised, but I, I can totally see it. So, yeah, it it, it is. There's a lot of um, diversity in, in people. And when you look, I think if you didn't go through everything you did, I don't think you would be sitting here with me doing this podcast no. right now. You'd probably be a normal guy, but your story and your background makes you so unique which puts you in a position to have a platform that you do that people go because let's be honest most people would say well jace he's not the most normal guy you're not crazy but you're not just this guy down the street that you know whatever boring bob like you have a story you have a character you have a history you have a background and i think that's me even though like you said we can see through each other's window a little bit and and connect but your life experiences my life experiences are fair bit different but when we look at other people that i consider very normal their life experiences are way different yeah yeah no it's it's and it's one of the cool things about doing this podcast you know like it is just like a window into how people see the world you know and like and the different experiences that that you've gone through like yeah uh, it's that's and people always say like how can you just sit there with no questions for three hours i'm like because it's fucking interesting like the people are super well, yeah. super interesting yeah, well, I remember you mentioning beforehand where you said, I don't really have a actual script. There's some things I want to definitely make sure I get asked uh, or ask you, um, but we'll just go with the flow type thing. And, um, and I think that's also cool too, because we probably talked about things today that maybe we wouldn't have because it wouldn't have been a question because you yeah, didn't no even way. know to ask that question. So... No, I think it's cool. It's, I, I like that kind of a little more freestyle, speak from the heart. And, 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 you know, for a lot of people, it is a little tough to speak from the heart because not every story makes you look like a tough mm. superhero. Some of the stories that I've shared and other people have shared or sometimes can struggle to share, it's because it's, it's not the most glamorous of stories, but it's true and they happened. And I'd like to see in our industry people be able to feel like they could open up and be honest. You know, we've developed yeah. this sort of t tough guy, stonewall, everything's cool, I'm making big bucks, I've got plenty of irons in the fire, I've got chicks all over me. And then I'm like, everything's great? Oh yeah, everything's great. You sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you hear some murmurs and then eventually you got some grown man crying on your shoulder and it's like mm. good you need this you know you got to be honest and real it's okay to shed a tear or be vulnerable and open up but it's just something that you don't hear and see it or it's not talked about in our industry yeah well i mean 
what's the point of being like a fucking statue you know like you just what you just like something to marvel at you've got no struggle there's no pain you're just this fucking gorgeous statue that's like holding your trophy on the podium it's like it's like fuck it's pretty rad like that's super hard yeah, to do. Yeah. i could never do that but there's like there's you don't offer me anything you know like and that that was one of the things like uh i would i would think about the stuff that i used to shoot like dream ride or like the scrub video of, uh-huh. of james that we did that was like fucking crazy it was just porn like yeah. i i had this <laughs> yeah, like, perspective <laughs> shift of it yeah i was like dude i'm literally just shooting fucking porn for people like and it, it's there <laughs> and it's gone like there's no it's not evergreen you know you can always look at it and it's fucking dope but that it's not like useful in any way and you kind of learn through doing this and it's like there's because dude like the average person i interact with fucking hundreds and hundreds of people every single week through like dms and comments and man people fucking struggle because of what we said like life is super fucking hard and the other thing man that i've i've learned through this as well and you guys would do um you know the the podcast stuff you've done with with peeing and whiskey throttle as well like there's a lot of people out there and and i know that i am so blessed in my life to have come into contact with so many great people and i've been lucky enough that i've been able to be friends with those people and like genuinely like stay connected with people and and have these great relationships with like badass motherfuckers that i can like i can always sort of turn to somebody that is greater than me in terms of things that accomplished or you know things that you know whether it's like financial whether it's just straight like fucking being a savage like i can pull from so many different people and and i think that if you're a person um that you know you grow up in like a shitty neighborhood and you don't you didn't grow up racing so you weren't lucky enough to meet a kid that was like the next big thing but you didn't know it and then he takes you to a race and you meet this but you know whatever the butterfly effect of your life is like if you're just a dude that's stuck these kind of podcasts give you access to someone like you that's just lived this fucking remarkable life and you know you see the grant langston that that wins the outdoor championship and you see the you know langston motorsports and you're like wow it must be nice and then you know you hear the struggle and you're like god damn like maybe i can do this you know like you kind of have this chance through these kind of podcasts to give people like a mentor in a way that you know they just they don't have access to well i i think one of the things that you see with you know a podcast like this is a lot of times people what they know about you is your credentials okay he's a world champ he's outdoor champ he won a couple regionals 450 blah 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 and same for someone else he's got his resume um Mm-hmm. And maybe they met you at the race and they liked your riding style. You shook his hand and took a photo so he likes you as well. But a lot of times that's pretty much what fans know about you. Maybe they read an article yeah, or something, yeah. but it's very at the surface, you know. And mm. I always say behind behind all those stories is some badass stories, you know, from a lot of guys that... Mm. Um, and, and even just like, like what you were saying, like even with doing the Whiskey Throttle show with with ping i what i enjoyed was i felt like i always learned something new about even someone that i thought i knew a lot about i always kept walked away mm. and go i didn't know that or shit can can you believe that or i had no idea so i find it interesting because um you know 
with with my story, it's kind of interesting, but my story is different than everyone else. So when I listen to other people's stories, mm. I find them fascinating because I'm like, yeah, that was quite a bit different to how I did it, but yet we're all sitting in the same room and we could all argue we've got similar credentials and we come from a multitude of countries, but we're all sitting here having a good laugh around a beer at some race in Paris, France or Sydney, Australia. You know, it's, uh, it, it is really, really neat. And one of the things that is cool is moving into this more futuristic way of, of delivering information to people is we can have this. It doesn't have to be which was the toughest national that year when you won in 03? Who was your biggest mm. competitor? A lot of times that, that's that been talked about, and, and, and if people don't know, they could probably go read an article about it that would tell all that, but you don't get to hear the stuff that is just what I consider um, just the person and the personality. And, and then once you get to know that, you almost go, oh, okay, I, now I know why. BT is the way he is. I know why Dino is the way he is. You know, it all starts making so much more sense. Um, but our sport is full of characters, and uh, I'm I'm kind of glad to see because for a little while there, and I'm not blaming Ricky, but when Ricky was the gnarly badass, work hard type, mm. training workhorse, almost looked like he wasn't having fun. It felt like everyone had to be that way. And he was just, he was right before social media. Now, sponsors are, have done that. I wouldn't say a 180 necessarily, but a lot of sponsors are saying, hey, you know what? Show us your personality. Hey, you know what, Jet? You're not polished, but we like the fact that you say whatever the hell you want on the podium. It's not scripted. Mm. It's from the heart. It seems sincere. He says it with a smile on his face. And people are like, oh, I love that kid. I'm like, he is. He's very likable. But I, th I almost feel like a few years ago, there were other personalities, very similar maybe. But if you were acting mm -hmm. like you're having fun and you eat donuts, boy, you better fucking win every race. Otherwise, you're going to get crucified, you know. So we're seeing that. Like I see now, Bosch is doing his videos. I mean, I know Dino has always been on yeah. that. But you're starting to see the personalities. And then people are going, I really like that guy. Not just because of his results or because of his style. It's like, I like that guy. Um, and... Mm -hmm. I want to see more of it because when the athletes do it, I think it really is them trying to um, let people kind of get a glimpse of who they are. Because I, I do chuckle sometimes. I've seen it with, with people in one day. They have a Facebook post and it's like, yeah, this sucks, city sucks, you know, politics, whatever. An hour later on Instagram, life is fucking amazing, best family ever, hottest boyfriend ever, couldn't be happier, hashtag blessed. Then you go to Twitter and it's like, guy cut me off, ran out of gas, I need to get my car insured, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, who the hell are you? This all happened in two hours. You know, like yeah, make yeah. up your mind. You know, it doesn't seem that sincere. It just seems like people want to just put something out that they think people would want to hear from them. That's my two cents. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Man, it's so 
You're so right. Um, and I think that a couple things have to happen. And I mean, it's one that's it's definitely like kind of a choice that I've made in terms of uh, this podcast. Like, I don't give a fuck about results. Like, I ain't doing the results thing. Like, there's other people that can care about results. That ain't going to be me. There's, I just want to enjoy the people. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's cool. And we need them. And I, I think that there's a... Uh, well, yeah, 100% it has to happen. I don't want to do it. Sure. Uh, I, w- I want to focus on the people and, like, I want to be around cool fucking people and I want people to feel like they can be cool and there's going to be some space in the industry where, like, that is going to be okay. And if that contributes to an overall change in perspective, then cool. But that in my head, it's like there's fucking two dudes on the weekend that win. Two. Yeah. So yeah. then we've got... We've got 78 other motherfuckers on the gate that don't win. And it's like, what kind of industry are we in if uh, a ninth overall in the 450 class means you're a piece of shit and you can't be cool? You know, like, I look at Bogle and, you know, he's he's one of, like, the most cool people that you could ever meet in terms of, like, classically fucking cool great looking dude fashion sense is on point stylish as a motherfucker on a dirt bike raps you know like it's just got he has so much shit in that package of justin bogle and then he's just like until literally a couple months ago it's just like it's just not an option for him to show that in his mind and to me it's like that's a 10-year pro career and to me, it's like, that's a fucking heartbreaking as a fan to know. And I've known him since 2010, since he was a 17-year-old kid. And it's like, to know that that kid has all of that shit inside his personality. And it's like, he's literally suppressing it. It's like an active thing where it's like, it's almost like he's putting on a suit and tie to go to work, you know? Yeah. And then you're seeing you're seeing a guy like Jet and Jet's just going like fuck the suit and tie I ain't doing it and then he's got yeah. like Hammer in his corner saying fuck the suit and tie don't do it and he's got Myrtle saying fuck the suit and tie don't do it and then you got Darren Lawrence saying fuck the suit and tie but also you need to do your motos bro <laughs> and it's like <laughs> yeah, and it's like that's the mix yeah I, and I hate to say this but one of the big differences is Jet's winning and Bogle isn't at the moment yeah not that that means Bogle can't be himself. I, I like him a lot. I think he's a character. I think the sport needs people like that. We co- you know not everyone's the same. Tomac is his personality. Marvin is his personality. Ferrand, you know you look at all these guys. There are quite a lot of personalities. Let them show. They're not not everyone's going to like Jet Lawrence, but the majority do. I think for someone like Bogle, everyone likes him that knows him, but when you aren't quite getting great results not saying he hasn't produced results but when you're finishing you know maybe let's just say 10th for example maybe the team's looking for a fifth and sixth on average but there's there's still a little bit of that out there where like well if he wasn't screwing around and distracted he would probably be doing better and you know i also hate that cliche because i feel like saying you don't even know the guy you haven't bothered to get to know him if you said you can't rap you can't do videos you just go home and be miserable is his results going to improve probably not no. probably not is yeah. there a fine line between not doing the training because you're doing band practice yeah maybe but i also don't believe yeah. i think these guys all like i remember you know metcalf 
I, I remember the first time I hung out at his house and he's the soft-spoken Mr. Nice Guy. We go into a spare room and he just starts smashing drum on drums, and, just going yeah. nuts. And I'm looking at, and I remember going, who the fuck is this guy? It's like this alter ego <laughs> came out, but I was like, I was just standing, I'm like, I didn't even know what song it was, but I was like, fuck yeah, that's awesome. I'm like, Maddie, I had no idea, dude. Like, I really thought you were just a little boring dude. And I'm like, this is so cool. And that was his release. And, but he, mm. it was also at a time where he wasn't very public about it and social media wasn't as big as it is. But I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing more of the personality from guys. It's just how, how people are choosing to take that information. Like I noticed like with Roxon, he doesn't post a ton of him riding. It's wake surfing on the lake with the family. And, you know, I think when he was winning, everyone was like, that's so cool. What a great guy. Now this outdoor season, I started like almost getting that vibe. People are like, yeah, well, he's not that committed to racing. You know, he's more of a family guy. Mm. Um, and I'm like, Have you, did you ever follow a week of what he did? Because maybe he's just not all about moto. And that's his prerogative and that's his choice. But it's mm. how people are like coming back to that window thing. It's like, how are they downloading that information? Bogle's obviously been labeled as eh, it doesn't work hard enough. Kenny doesn't want it bad enough. Um, Eli's miserable. Uh, Ferrandis, well, he's French. I'm like, well, what does that even mean? Oh, he doesn't yeah, yeah. surf or wakeboard. No, the dude does it. He goes to a, a beat of his own drum. And I, yeah. I tell you straight up, he's gained a lot of respect from me and I think a lot of people with his grit, determination, the way he goes about things. But that would be like going to tell the next kid, you've got to be just like Ferrandis, otherwise you won't win. I think a lot of guys, if they lived like Dylan and had no hobbies, they'd be like, why am I doing this? I'm so miserable. I don't even enjoy riding. So, yeah, I I like seeing some personality. I also think these guys know how to succeed. Um, you know, you said when you met Bogle, I remember going to uh, an amateur race down in Alabama in 2011 when he was uh, a Geico protege. And I remember watching him and I was like, dude, this guy is gnarly. And that's what's also crazy when you see in our sport, every year there's two or three really gnarly guys. They're not all gonna mm. be able to move up and win in every class on every weekend. I mean, go look at our sport. There's there's some good things happening. For a while it seemed like it seemed like every year as one top dude moved up, someone retired. Now in the last ten yeah. or fifteen years, that sort of changed. You know, I think because of the training regiments and all that guys are staying uh, in better shape, maybe recovering better from injuries. You know, there's more knowledge. So their their careers are being prolonged. So what you're having now is you got a hotshot move up and he's got to deal with 10 former champions. Let's say he's the 250 outdoor champion, moves up to 450. He's now lining up to get against 12 guys that have championships that won previously before him. And maybe one or two yeah. guys have retired in between. So. You're also seeing the depth. Um, I truly believe like when I was racing in the early 2000s, to get the top 10 in the, well, what's now the 450 class, I don't think it was as, as difficult as it is now. Top five maybe was just as difficult, but you could go down the first turn and come back to a sixth or seventh. If you go down the first turn, you know, you better hope you're having the ride of your life to get back to sixth or seventh, whether you're Ferrandis or Roxon. So, yeah. Guys have gotten closer, they're training together more, everyone's learning everyone's tricks. I think the motorcycles are pretty close and balanced. You know, I know everyone's got their favorites, but 
I truly believe you could throw a blanket over all of them. I mean, maybe Suzuki's a little bit behind. Um, I th- and I think part of that is because their R&D department is left with two people. Because they're still uh, paying Ricky. <laughs> probably, yeah. I think the R&D department's left with uh, Barney Rubble and Fred Flintstone. That's it. You know, Besides that, there is no R&D. So... Um, but the other brands have still continued to push and move forward. But, you know, even with that said, the Suzuki's not far off. It, it, it could do with a few bells and whistles. But add that all together, there's so many good guys on so many good teams that the difference between being a top five guy or a top 15 guy is, I mean, it's we're talking minuscule amounts. Yeah. And then I think that's just where, like, the narrative has to change. And I think that's the... Um, that's definitely like the angle that I'm trying to, I'm trying to like just point my angle a little bit and just like, let's just have like a dope human show over here. And it's exactly. like, if you're a dope, if you're a dope motherfucker, it's like, I just kind of want to get behind you. And I mean, dude, Cody shock, man, like perfect yeah. example. Like when uh, he, that that's like great timing. Like he did the podcast and fucking caught fire, like absolutely no correlation <laughs> causation and correlation. But it's like, you saw a guy that was like, I'm like watching him all supercross and then we start, you know, DMing back and forth and you know, we had like these months where I just became like this Cody Shock fan and then he goes out and just is fucking blowing the doors off off the you know, the top ten and people are like celebrating that dude like he's winning. Like this people are filming him on the side of the track get like a seventh and a and a ninth for, you know, eighth overall and shit like that. And it's like that to me is fucking cool. And I think that that's just the direction that the sport kind of needs to go because, yeah, you're right. Like, we're just not going to see this, like, complete and utter uh, domination. Um, I just think that the the everything's kind of caught up. And, I mean, this is something that I think with, like, with Jet. So, you know, you had Ricky that had this, like, Johnny O, Alden program and he had the goat farm and it was like he was the OG of like having the facility and then uh, James built the the Ponderosa and then Chad built his deal in uh, in Dade City and it was Dade just City, like yeah. there was just like then, those I, then I followed crew. suit yep and yep. I was next so it's yeah. like that that shit wasn't common right and i think that you you would see a guy like james and this is my opinion this is probably like not a very popular opinion um james most spectacular fucking dude i've ever seen ride dirt bike like just just fucked and and he did it on a 125 when everyone else was kind of on getting on 250s and but like he had this like insane program and like huge financial backing and this insane facility and a dad that pushed him like crazy and like that was just this crazy moment crazy talent but in in my personal opinion you know you've got like i'm just speaking in my ass here but it's like you got mike brown that's kind of like you know running like a backyard track kind of thing and it's not a doesn't have all the full-time staff and he doesn't have a facility behind and it's like you're kind of making you do with like what you've got and you're going to different tracks through the week so it's like what you saw with james was like this combination of just spectacular talent with just like a program and now every single rider that is in like fuck the top 15 has access to the same style of training 
and they've been in that program. Yeah. Like you look at a guy like AC, like he's been in that. He's like institutionalized since he was like 14. Like they're in an institution. And then you look at uh, everyone in Star Yamaha almost comes through that. And then, you know, you got like a Austin Faulkner that comes through. So the level, it's like bang. All of a sudden, yeah. like the the slowest guy in the top 10 now has the same access to all this shit. The level just skyrockets. And I think that, you know, it was the same with Ricky. Ricky just laid the fucking wood on everyone because he was like first to market with this new concept (laughs) of having a program. And then the the next dudes was like, Chad, and then you. And it's like, okay, these are the guys that are at the now rising to the top. And I think like this is the unpopular opinion part. I think that Jet is as good talent-wise as James. And the things that he are doing are as incredible as James. But what you're seeing is like you're not seeing a... Well, A, you're not seeing a dude that is allowed to go out and try and win every moto. Like Darren and that team, like they are so fucking smart. They know what wins championships. And they're just... They're not letting Jet go balls to the wall to go 1-1 every single weekend. So that's why you're not... That's why you don't see Jet look like James. And then he's also racing against a bunch of dudes that uh, are on the same program it's like a level playing field and there's probably six dudes on the trip maybe more that have a way better bike than than him so it's like i think that you know you see a guy that is like a generational talent like like jet but it the disparate the the uh, disparity between the rest of the field in terms of like the access and what they've got it, it isn't the the same thing so i think it it speaks to what you're saying in terms of just the level is just the, the depth and the thickness and the development of the sport overall has stopped the production of these like crazy anomalies. And I think that what we're seeing with yeah. Jet, we're seeing a guy that is a crazy anomaly, but in a different landscape. So tell me I'm a fuckwit if you think I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I, I would agree a lot with that. And now that you've put it that way, I've never thought of it that same way. But like you're saying, the these uh whether you want to call them riding facilities you know team settings where there's a team coach or team coaches in some cases um and there again there's not a one size fits all i i i can i could totally see why jason anderson didn't didn't want to work with alden anymore Uh, i've seen some guys just saying they want to change or break and i think alden got this program so fine-tuned that I think for some guys it's too boring in the sense that it's the same mm-hmm. stuff repeated. You know, maybe it's not week in, week out, but there's a pattern. We're going to be doing this in December, that in January, that in February. You know, and it and then it's repeat, repeat. Um, so a one size fits all is not always the right thing. But the fact that you have those tools and you can go there and go, you know what, this works for me. I like that. But maybe like in my case, I. I didn't need to do a lot of weight training. Just from riding day in and day out, I would get a lot of that mass and size and strength. I, but I probably, you know, I need a little bit of, uh, of weight training. But there were other guys around me that, like, they really had a focus on that. But I had to focus on things like getting going. Like, my first couple laps were always terrible, you know. So the intervals, the sprint training. So there were times where I could see certain guys doing what, working on their strengths and weaknesses and vice versa. Um, and 
you know, as you said, we've gotten to this level. And and James always rode, I don't think anyone ever said to James, you know, like, let's just rein it in a little bit. You know, let's think yeah. big picture yeah. long term. It was just, dude is gnarly. He's jumping shit no one is. And he's two to three seconds quicker than everyone. I... I was there. I, I, I've been annihilated by James Stewart, and it is really, really depressing when you think I'm not that bad, and I just got humiliated, you know. So I've been there. I've got the T-shirt, um, but like you said, with Jet, it just seems like with him, I think there's a good balance. Maybe again, you got Johnny O involved, who maybe can take a kid's person. Because I don't think Johnny O has to really motivate, you know, someone like Jet. I think he more has to just say, hey. You know, don't worry about that. Don't let the little things bug you. This is okay. Let's just, you know, like you see the little things happening. And I think when you're a youngster like that, you're just going to listen to some. I, I had Harry Everts in my corner when I first went to Europe. And he oh, helped me a dude. lot when I said I couldn't, I, I, I didn't qualify for a Grand Prix. And I remember sitting there with tears in my eyes. And he sat next to me and we had this great conversation. And I still remember saying to him, please don't patronize me, because he said, I believe you have what it takes to be a world champion. And I literally thought, this guy is so full of shit right now. I know he's trying to make me feel better, but he's in la la land. There's no way in hell I'm gonna be a world champion. Like at that point in time, I didn't believe in it. But when he started saying, let's work on this, this is what you need to do in GPs, this is how it goes. You know, it's like, I'm not gonna argue with the guy, four-time world champ, father of 10-time, well, at the time, yeah. Stefan hadn't won his 10th. But, you know, here's the guy who was the man over there. <clears throat> so you're like, of course I'm going to listen to him. And then things start happening. You're like, oh, you know what? Yeah. E- even even if my dad's going, I said the same thing. You just didn't listen to me. I'm like, I know, but you're not Harry Everts either. So, you know, there's that, that yeah. aspect. But, you know, getting back to talking about, you know, guys like Bogle and all that, and Cody Shock, these are fantastic riders that I can't speak for all of them at this very moment in time. But they're looking for rides and mm. i you know even after how cody ended off the season it's like oh man that's his reward he, the team's going away and, and you're like dang it this shouldn't happen that a guy who's solidly in the top 10 on a privateer bike can't even have a, a a ride i i i don't have the answer and i've said this for a while but i would love to see our sport be able to continue to to spread the love amongst uh more individuals for a little while all the money went to the Carmichael and the Stewarts and the Reeds and then it was like they made buku bucks and then behind it was like a massive drop-off and mm. um you know so I, you're I'm a, a big fan <laughs> pretty much I guess I sound like it huh uh, I would just love to see the ability okay like let's use MotoGP all the all the factories have a factory team and a factory backed team that enables yeah, them to yeah. have the next kid that comes up where they go, maybe he's not gonna be world champion the first year, but we wanna keep him because we wanna promote him to the premier team later on. I look at, I'm a big V8 supercar fan, and I think to myself, there's guys there that could win on one weekend and be 25th the next weekend. Their job isn't really yeah. in jeopardy. Yes, I know it's car racing, it's different. NASCAR's a little bit the same way. But if if these kids could, show their personalities get some some sponsors because I, I i know even as we speak there's one or two or even more of these companies where it's enthusiasts that are businessmen that have thought hey you know what i could help this guy out i could help mm. that team um i just would love to see a little more structure from the oems to help facilitate that 
because all it takes is all the money is going in one direction someone's trying to make it work and then they get a sponsor who's maybe just an enthusiast and they're like oh the dude's got money we're gonna rape him for everything we can and then you have this team mm. for one year and then the sponsor's pissed off and a writer who was promised this doesn't get that so like i said i don't have the answer i would love to just see a little more structure and um just be able to say okay in order to be involved this is what we'd like to see as a roadmap it's not just about you know tomac and cincerello and factory cowie you know i know they're going to say well we have pro circuit but you need team green you need you need us you need a support program to team green in my opinion as well you need pro circuit mm. maybe you even need a satellite team that mitch if he's got four good guys and there was another guy like this year with shimoto someone where they weren't sure if they were going to be able to have a five-man team it'd be nice if it was structured that there was another team and then think about it if someone moves up now at, let's say at the end of next year you've just signed jason anderson to cowie and you've got cincerello under contract what do you do let's say faulkner gets gets it going and just dominates next year they're now sitting there going oh shit now what mm. we didn't didn't really plan for this either you know we want all the best guys we can get but we don't even have any way to put him yes yeah, some of these teams can go we can run a third rider and go back to monster and get some more money and ask howie for some more product but you get what That's I'm saying. The it's the same. It's the same two. Yeah. It's it's it can't just all fall on Red Bull and Monsters back and the OEMs yeah. being behind it. It it really needs. There needs to be like levels where a sponsor can come in and go, Hey man, I don't have a million dollars, but I got a hundred and fifty grand. Where could I put this that makes it work? And now I'm working with an organization like Cowie or Honda that's promoting that sponsor and that team through a bunch of avenues. Because when it's just a little privateer team. They're like, yeah, well, we blasted you on our social media. And oh, yeah, you guys have 3,000 followers. That's not really doing my, my, my sponsorship any justice. Not to mention, my guy who's riding pretty good got 10th, but I don't even know if I saw my logo on the TV or got a shout out. You know, mm -hmm. is, yeah. am I really getting my bang for a buck? So, yeah, besides the, the communism side of it, uh, I hate to say it, but I think the sport would be a little bit better with it's some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that the the thing that, that really sucks in our sport, and I've spoke about it before, and I'd love to talk to Davey about it at some point or, you know, like even Fell, but it's like, that was the thing. So I was with JDR and I was like, yep. Jay Reinebeck still my best friend like we're still talk as you know every day almost and uh and they're like a, a wealthy family that got into the sport with these intentions of sticking around like every guy that comes into the sport but it's like all right so this it has to be this model where like every year there's this massive cash injection from a private enterprise uh, like their like their family, and then slowly that budget gets spent, and then the next year a massive cash injection, and then we're just fucking on on the ride now doing it. And it's like at some point, like if you're a rich dude, right? You've made a lot of money in your life. You didn't make money by spending money with no return and like no, no. way of recouping investment. And you know you can have these intentions, which is what you know these wealthy people they come into the sport, and then they have these intentions of like all right, well, we will be able to get sponsors. We've got this great plan. Like, dude, we invented the web series, you know, like we were doing, we were doing shit 
with the video side of things that was so far ahead of its time and that was jay's vision you know like jay bought into that vision and we did do a lot of crazy shit it wasn't enough like the it was yeah it was probably too ahead of its time um you know if we kept doing the youtube thing and like before anybody else maybe you know you can turn it into like a revenue stream but it's like there's i remember having a conversation with with jay and he's just like how the fuck do you make money what's the what can we sell what's the pro he's like we just do this with our hands out and just hope you know and they had like jared merrill one of the most badass motherfuckers i've ever met to this day you know you got the j star you know dudes that come on board and then you know you you rely on these fucking absolute legends to come together and like fund this thing but like where's the revenue stream and it's like let them sell some fucking t-shirts man yeah let's let them do some merch like i i know the kind of dollars that can be made uh with people that run successful successful merch and it's like okay so to run the merch you need to first be allowed to sell at the races but sure. because MX Sports don't get their card or Feld don't get their card or they've got their merch they've got their wheels that they want to grease that that they're going to shut that down and then it's like how do we advertise our merch oh well you can't film at the races you know you, you can't have your own cameraman come and uh yeah. you know and and be there to advertise the the product so you just like your fucking legs just get everywhere you go to try yeah. and make money your fucking legs get cut out from from underneath you um and it's just like it's discouraging for people like they just know there's literally no um way for for them to make money and honestly i think that the deegans are going to come in and fuck shit up because you think <laughs> brian deegan's not going to be fucking down to have his filmers film supercross when they've got a million subscribers on their youtube channel and when they sell merch the way that they sell their merch like you think that that's gonna fly and that's the shit in my opinion that that has to change and and i'm a big free market guy right and and in my head i look at feld no bad no bad blood no you know i mean i'm not like against anti-feld or whatever but it's like i look at them and it's like well we want to sell our t-shirts and it's like okay make cool fucking t-shirts that people want to buy and if your t-shirts are cool people will buy your t-shirts but if a cody shock t-shirt's cooler and people like cody shock more let yeah. them fucking buy the cody shock t-shirt have a Give free an opportunity going. yeah to make exactly. himself some money let let the fans yeah. dictate and getting back you know you yep. mentioned j star i know the family as well and uh you, you, there again they're enthusiastic. They're like, yeah, we want to sponsor motocross. We think it's a badass sport. We want to be involved. And then a lot of times those kind of companies end up with a private team that may be over promising and under budget. And it just always feels like after a couple of years, those sponsors like, you know, it just, it, it wasn't worth it. I didn't get what I was promised. Um, my money didn't go into building the team it went to you know band-aiding some previous issues or problems which is why i was saying if the oems have a more of a structure i think that's one of the reasons why you've seen nascar still be so strong in this country is mm. they have a team of people soliciting sponsors and they have sponsors at all different levels and they're like well i don't think we can afford nascar and they're like well but you can afford to be on the side of my truck or the xfinity car mm. which is a, a step below and allow those people to get their feet wet, be in with a big structured organization that has PR people, has this. When you've got privateer teams trying to hire a team manager, hire a PR person, 
they're trying, but they're never going to do the same job as an OEM or a manufacturer that's got a whole big group behind yeah. it. So that's where I was trying to say, I think there's opportunities for other sponsors and companies to come in at different levels with and yeah. feel comfortable about spending their money. Not like, hey, I'm signing on some private team and some guy that's a businessman or some ex racer, you know, and it's, you know, if you're a little uncomfortable, uh, it's not a good start. And then secondly, like I said, more often than not, I think people get brought in and they get all these promises. Oh, dude, I'll hook you up with this. Your kid will get that, blah, blah, blah. Once mm. the money comes in, someone else is going, maybe it's fell to someone. Oh, this company's got money. Hey, why not? You don't want to be with that little privateer team that's going to give you, you know, minimal uh, advertising. You could be a series sponsor an event. Come over here. We'll we'll get you in the suite. We'll get you in the press box. You know, things like that do happen, and mm. it, and it it just like I said leaves a bad taste in people's mouth, and you've got this this revolving door. Yeah. Well, a great example of this, dude. So shout out to Chad because Chad's been so ahead of this shit and so many times like uh, Peter Adenan bought out the 360 fly camera obviously uh, he's the boost guy him and Chad lifelong relationship uh, boost sponsor of us shout out uh, but Peter Adenan brings out this 360 camera GoPro sponsored the series of, yeah. of Supercross so what happens Chad can't run his 360 fly helmet can't run logos so there's a company that's just come here like a big company like Peter Adenan ain't no fucking joke and he's bought in this cash bought in this new product to market and then puts it on the uh, helmet of one of the greatest riders of all time bang shut down and then Chad CBD company CBD MD comes along and then there's some you know there's some legal legislation that fell then goes like ah we can't do this can't be shown and NBC can't be done this has to censor his shit who the fuck is sponsoring Supercross a year later CBD MD and it's yeah. like over and over and over and over and over and uh, it's like the fucking same shit keeps happening and it's like it's getting stifled at the top and it's like all right, guys, at some point you have to, it, it's like a rising tide floats all boats and that's not yeah. the mentality. You know what I mean? It's just like these cunts want to build a bigger ship. Yeah. Yeah. Th there's a lot of truth to that. And, you know, kind of coming back to what we're all saying is I think we're in agreement. There's a better process of doing it. It's just got to be structured better, but the, the, the reason I don't think we've seen anyone push for a better structure is it didn't put more money in that individual's pocket. So as long as mm. someone themselves is not benefiting, but I, I almost want to say, you know, there's that old saying, you got to take one step back to go two steps forward. If you have yeah. great racing and a healthy paddock, meaning a lot of riders, uh, whether privateers, semi-privateer, full factory, if you've got fans of Cody Shock, Justin Bogle, I know, I know we're repeating this, some of the same names, but there's plenty of other guys out there. You, if they're bringing in five, if the they're bringing in 500 fans, and he's bringing in 300 fans because they want to watch him, uh, or there's a section in the stands that's the Cody Shock section, or whatever it may be, a healthy, a healthy pit area creates great racing. Great racing has proven mm -hmm. over and over. The racing's been sensational lately, at least like outdoors and that. And it showed in the TV ratings. I mean, they were just having yeah. record after record. Um, the revenue from sponsors is more than it's ever been. 
right now we're in a good place because whether we saw this coming or not, COVID boosted motocross. I can't speak for the world, but in America, it took our sport to a, it was huge, another level huge. again. It, it, our sport was, do, it, we, we, we did this, we had the recession in 08. It's been dipping and then it flattened out and it was okay. Bike sales were doing fine, but I mean, side-by-side -side sales overtook motorcycle sales. And I'm like, I never thought I'd see that, but it was happening. Now, your motocross entries are good. Your uh, sponsorship in the series are doing really good. They've got more sponsors spending more money and there's more money in the industry. This is a great time for people to sit down and go, okay, what can we do for the sport? Not for me, not mm. for you, but the longevity of the sport. Let's, let's share some of this love because there's enough to go around for everyone. Everyone can make a good penny. Fell can do well, MX Sports can do well. You know, obviously, and it's different for other companies. Red Bull don't get into motocross to make money. No, it's a form of advertising. Same with Monster. Yeah. But they figured out ways to monetize their, their, their name, their image, their likeness with their athletes. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Let's do that on a bigger scale. Let's spread that, you know, to other layers of this. Um, so anyway, I know we could go on for hours on this, but I, I would love to just see um, some some grown men sit around a table and put put egos aside and just have a, a real conversation about what's best for the sport mm. not what can i get out of it yeah and i mean this is a hard one to say but i feel kind of like obligated to say it in a way but i've got great relationships with like a couple of manufacturers here in australia and i know for a fact that sales are up like 40% like 30 40% like yeah. and when you're talking Sounds about, about right. when you're talking about when you're talking about a 30 to 40% increase on motorcycle sales, we're talking units that are fucking $12,000. That's a fuck ton of money. And guys like Todd Waters that won the motocross championship last year should be getting a pay rise, you know. Uh, they're like, ah, COVID, sorry, fucking clip you from the program. And it's like, you just got a yeah. guy that has been a part of this program and now he doesn't have a fucking job. And then there's guys like... Some dude DM'd me on Instagram the other day and he was like, how many guys in Australia would be making over 100 grand and how many teams in Australia would be profitable? I was like, what the fuck is that? Okay, I get it that you don't have context to that, but it's like, to anyone that knows, it's like, hey, no one, no one. Yeah. This fu It's fucked. Like, but motorcycle sales are up and, you know, the bean counters at these companies that have never probably watched a fucking race, like the accountant that works for some of these companies that is like releasing budgets and giving the okay for money to get spent has probably never watched a fucking race in their life you know and yeah. that's where you are right like that these companies need to to go like okay and i've said this to i've even got sponsors of this show where i've just said like hey guys you need to fucking reinvent like this is the time right now like essentially motocross as where it's a wave like we've caught a wave covid yeah. has made people get into motorcycles covid has made people rebuy bikes i think that everyone media wise is doing a great job there's a fucking wave it's like we need to catch this wave like paddle fucking hard now and ride this fucking wave and you're gonna have to spend some money to to do it but this is the time where everyone that is involved in the industry like if you can you should and i mean dude i 
I paid money to sponsor a two-stroke class. You know, it's I ain't fucking killing it, but I felt obligated. I'm like, I'm making money from this shit. Let's put it back in. Put Everyone should do it at any fucking level. And that's like, whether you're a local dude that is like, yeah, maybe I'll go race. Do a race. Go do a race. Help out the clubs, you know, like from the, from the smallest level of just being an individual that, you know, like has an interest in riding. Go and race the vet class. You know, and then for the the manufacturers, put this money in. Don't just keep this fucking cash. Like, we got a chance to blow this shit up if we all reinvest. And it's like, I'm a business owner. I can't sit with just the equipment in this room and run forever. You know, like, there's going to be a point in time where you've got to expand, you've got to grow, you've got to reinvest. So that's my little rant on it. And it's, you know, someone might get pissed off of it, but it is what it is. I, I felt like the OEMs pulled back their spending purely based not on numbers, but oh my gosh, COVID, you know. Yeah. I, I don't want to. I don't want to say they found an excuse to cut cut spending, but I think people may some people may have overreacted in the beginning, and now they're going, oh okay, but now we're in that awkward yeah. spot. We we pulled back. We can't just release the reins overnight. So you got this yeah. pullback, which seems like it shouldn't be happening because the opposite happened everyone's firing on all cylinders i mean i know you know our our shop did well and all that in fact we had one or two uh you know we've been approached to sponsor some some local you know amateur stuff in the area and um you know after chatting with my parents i said i'd like to the only problem that we had at one point is we didn't have much product on the floor and i said i'm scared we go sponsor events and then people are like sweet let's go over to langston motorsports and get a motorcycle and then they walk in and go well this is disappointing so i said to them the timing wasn't perfect for everything but we are getting more involved um you know like even you know with the whole stasic craze you know that's going to be the future the future generation we're getting involved with a a series that's that's purely Stasic related racing in SoCal here. Um, even at my son's high school, um, they didn't want to call it the motocross club, but it's called Dirty Wheels because there's people involved in everything from flat track to GNCC to mm. these girls that race quads and side-by-sides. And it's this whole group of just teenagers that are enthusiastic and they're the, you know the guy that's running at the school, you know, he's in the moto and that, and he was like, hey, any chance you could help out? I said, whatever I can do, let me know. He's like, from your basic advice, maybe help these kids do, you know, teach them how to do basic maintenance on their bikes. I said, I can get some Mm. swag. We can do some discounts, some giveaways. Uh, I said, I'll even rent a track, do a track day and all the kids can come and I'll I'll help them with some basic riding skills or whatever it may be. Mm. But I go, it feels good to be in a position now for me where I'm like, I can give back. So again, I want to give back. I'm going to do it at a smaller level. Um, I'm not going to pour a bunch of money into a pro team that hopefully makes it one yeah. day. Hey, if, they, if there's a little yeah. something that we could do to just go, hey, you know what? That'll get you gas to get around. Maybe we will. But we're, we're doing stuff at, at, at ground zero level to help where we can in a small way. And also getting, feet, getting your feet wet. It's like, does this make sense? Um, it's not always just about yeah you hit here's a check once you get involved in these things yeah you physically have to be involved like you have to show up yeah. be a face be a part of it and uh do the whole thing not just just cut a check and then call it a day 
Oh, I, I completely agree. And, and it's up to the riders as well, man. You know, like you, you could even see in Australia that, you know, there's, there's riders that, that we don't have a series. We got no Supercross series now. So it's like you got these guys and, and it, this goes both ways. Like this isn't a one-sided conversation like OEMs, you need to do more for these fucking poor guys. Like look what's happening to them. There's guys that are just like want to get the check and want to keep training and there's no racing. And it's like, okay, man, so you've got to pivot now. Like you need to start going to some local races. You need to start doing some coaching days. You need to start like there's a lot of shit that you can start doing now. You've got time and it's everyone should be giving back. And, you know, you look at there's so much fucking bullshit on social media. Like how much time does some people spend just on their fucking phone? arguing with people about shit it's like go to the fucking track dude like go to the track and do some shit like be productive you know like we're hey we're stuck borders aren't open for us we can't do a lot of stuff just invest in your local community like at any level that you know that you can be involved you should be involved so yeah it's not like a hey everyone that's got money just start throwing money in it's like no figure out what you can do to help the community like we build a a community and the stasic thing is crazy dude like the the foundation that that can build like how many kids just twisting a throttle dude like that's Mm -hmm. this is the motion that we have to encourage you know like we don't want this fucking motion we just (laughs) let's get this going if you can start doing this then uh you know at a young age then that bug will bite big time and and that's another thing that's going to just thicken out the base you know well it's gonna it's so easy to lose kids to these other things like drones and rc cars and being yeah you know an influencer you know i even hear my my son talk about buddies at a school and i'm like I know you guys are at that age where you want to be cool and everyone think that you're cool, but you're not all going to be influencers. I'm like, I've watched some of the stuff they produced. I go, with all due respect, it's it's pretty pretty bad. But I go, that's yeah. because they've got this 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 thought process of if I want to be cool and be rich, this is the easiest way to get there. And you know, not mm. everyone's going to be able to do that. But uh, I'm I'm curious to see moving forward because I think the OEMs went from hitting the panic button to now it's like oh shit, we just need to produce more. There is such a demand that we're so far behind in production. Mm. You know, is that going to entice them to spend more? And, and, and even if it's not a spending thing, when I said maybe they could do more, I do believe there's a lot to be said that because of the size of these companies, when they reach out to sponsors on behalf of, say, their satellite team or whatever, it carries so much more weight then Patrick Potato down the street going, hey man, cut me a check and I'll get you some TV time. You know, there's a lot more to be said about that. And I think uh, moving forward, I hope we see that and um, a bit more of a tiered system so we don't just have that top heavy as you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I want to circle back to something we spoke about. It was a a question I wanted to ask, but we, we rolled on. When you went, oh. you said you went from that factory KTM in Europe to then a production KTM in the US. What is the difference? And there was one of the things I wanted to talk about was just like the evolution of KTM because you were there in the dog days of summer on the the KTM and and you rode that bike when it it wasn't app it was apples to oranges. You know, like you couldn't throw a blanket over the KTM that you raced and and the pro circuit bike that was you know on the other end so 
what was that experience like to go through? Well, it was interesting because, you know, I I feel like the the term factory is 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 thrown around a lot, but no one really knows the <laughs> the true definition of it. But when when I was in Europe, my first year, I was I did a, a European championship at the end of '97 and caught the eye of 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 Harry. I don't know if I so much caught his eye, or if it was more that my dad and my main sponsor went and found those people and were like, "Hey, watch this kid!" Like you know, hello, we're here. Do make sure you pay attention, otherwise you kind of can slip through the cracks. Um, so anyway, I got to ride with Harry, and um, it was there again a privateer kawasaki team that had help from you know a variety of sponsors and and they gave me a great platform to get my feet wet when ktm approached um i still remember my dad said hey here's the way we got to look at it it's the best offer we have he goes they're paying for everything and he goes if you don't win people will blame the bike if you do win they'll, they'll think wow this guy's even even better than we thought he was. So he goes, I feel like it's it, it's a no-brainer. It's a win-win. So when we so when we signed with KTM, we've got to go to the factory and all that. And I, and I, and I got to take my hats off to those guys. They, um, considering they were they bought KTM out of bankruptcy, they made a lot of things happen very quickly. And I know they put a lot of the emphasis in the five hundreds, and you know, with Shane winning for them and Shane King, and. Um, then it was like, all right, now we want to go in the 125 class. But they had this kind of mindset of, we're not gonna. It's not gonna be a long rollout process. We're gonna throw everything and the kitchen sink at it, because we want to be successful from the get go. And I remember, like, I was thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. So the first time I even got to see and and they fired up the KTM, and I was like, wow, that thing sounds pretty wicked, you know. And I'm looking at, I'm like, it looks a lot different to a Cowie, you know. It was. European brand and it just everything about it looked different the gas tank the seat the, the shrouds um, but I do remember from the moment I got on it I remember thinking wow this bike has quite a bit of power and, and I and it got better and better but the problem that we had in in the winter testing in Europe is this bike blew up every five minutes and I was getting a little nervous I had I had the whole crank and piston and everything go through the bottom of the casings like you tip the bike over, you could see the whole internals. <laughs> That's a proper let go. Yeah, like we had, we had a few of those, and um, and then it's you know it's like um, it's probably like Formula One, MotoGP. You fix that problem, you're like okay, that broke after five laps. Okay, we fixed that. Then on lap seven, something else breaks. You fix that. Then after lap ten, something else broke. So I I remember that being a little bit nervous at one point of just the reliability. Um, but however, I don't remember all the details. I remember we did a lot of testing and I remember they just brought stuff like nobody's business. They did not skimp on product. They were like, there's a bunch of frames. They're all different. We'll run through them. And I'm like, what? They don't have engines in them. No, 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 no. We'll build the bike after you're done with it. You know, make sure you're done with that setup so we can peel all of that into that chassis. And I was like, Wait, we're going to do that today? Oh, yeah. I was thinking, I've never been at a track from before sunrise till till dusk. You know, so everywhere we went, we busted out our motos, and within three or four hours, we were done for the day. I mean, these were literal sun-up, sundown days. And But I really enjoyed feeling the, the progression and seeing 
what was happening and getting comfortable and going, okay, this went from a foreign feeling motorcycle. They would have different swing arms, different shock bodies, different shock lengths, different clamps, different diameter forks, different reeds, different pistons, different cranks, different cylinders. I mean, everything. They had sand cast casings because they were one-offs. And I remember thinking, this is pretty cool. Like, I, this is the definition mm. of factory. So as much as I wasn't a high-profile rider getting paid a million dollars, they wanted to make sure I succeeded. And I, obviously, it makes them look good. If I'm doing well, they're, they're going to look good and sell motorcycles. But from the end of the tail end of 98 uh, to two weeks before the first GP in like April or whenever it was, that six months, I mean, we they did not let off the gas pedal. And uh, I remember 99 thinking, I think my bike was the fastest. I think the KTMs were the fastest that year, but I don't think they handled the best. And what was kind of cool was, you know, they had bought out WP. And I think that's when they were like, hey, WP, we need you guys to kind of go next level with, 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 you know, development and that. So by the end of 99, um, so in 99, I won my first GP. I actually dominated the German Grand Prix and it kind of came out of nowhere because um, I remember a few people going, where did that come from? I'm like, I don't know. I've been trying all season, but it just clicked. And it was just a type of track that worked for me. And I think it worked really good for that KTM. A little bit sandy because I had this debate where I said they were convinced that the PDS was better than a linkage. And then I started mm. putting two and two together where we where they did a lot of their testing and training in the winter in Europe and that was had to be same. these kind of sand tracks and that. And I personally believe that the PDS works better in the sand because it just it's the the it's driving the rear wheel into the ground because you got the shock that's just pushing the 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 swing arm into the ground. So your wheel is touching the ground more than anyone and it had great horsepower. But when we went to places that were like just those like real square edge bump, hard pack tracks, we struggled. And um, they came out, I, I still remember just, I felt like every time they brought a new fork or a new shock, I'm like, this thing just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The diameters were getting bigger, but you know, they tried everything. And uh, I would say going into 2000, even though I knew there were one or two spots, I felt like the KTM maybe didn't handle quite the best. And it was typically just rear acceleration from the middle to the exit of turns when they got really choppy besides that that bike was incredible it turned so good uh the power was awesome i got a lot of whole shots which obviously makes life a lot easier i didn't realize at the end of this i i don't know how or what but we didn't really understand that going to america where they have a production rule things were going to change because i had a full-fledged factory bike you could have said, mm. even though there were four or five factory KTM guys, I think our bikes were all different. We all had different frames, different swing arms, and that's the beauty of GPs. It's pretty much as long as it's got 125 cc's and a couple other rules, run what you brung. And KTM made the most of that. So like I said, when I came to America and had to get on a production bike, it was a significant step backwards in my opinion. And I didn't mm. factor that in, you know, because in Europe, the Cowies were slow, were known as the slowest bikes, and they just didn't they didn't do that great, you know. In the, in the two years I was on KTM, so in my head I'm coming to America, going KTM's the new brand. It's the brand to be on, and uh, there again I hadn't had Supercross experience without a linkage, which I think 
also yeah, was a mistake because I, I struggled a lot with confidence in the whoops and, and you know, you start thinking it's me more than the bike until I went to pro circuit years later and I was just like, oh, this is beautiful. I've never felt so confident hitting whoops. So pros and cons with, with both decisions and both uh, bikes um, at different times. But yeah, that, that, that factory KTM, I really do believe was just the outright best bike on the, on the line at that time in the world championship. Man, that's amazing to to know that the arc that you went through and for that to be like your first factory team and then to get given that experience of building a motorcycle from the ground up. Like, did that did that experience in that one off season, I could see that carrying through your entire professional career. Like that would have I could see that changing you as a motorcycle rider forever. Yeah, you know, you you have to um you know, even with testing, you know, I think from a young age it was easy to go, yeah, I like it, or I don't like it. Now they're there with, you know, iPad. Well, I didn't even know they had iPads in, but they got little laptops and they've got notepads and all that, and they're just asking you like to really break it down. You know, well, why didn't you like it there? And what did it feel like there? Could if we did that, do you think that would make that better? And I, you know, it was like as a kid you're just like okay let me let me try and use my words and explain it but um yeah it was it was really interesting to be at that age and have all these resources coming at you and like i said ktm i remember kurt nickel uh, was spearheading the whole factory operation and i remember in an article he said i'm turning the world orange and I remember thinking, like, yeah, that's that was a pretty powerful statement, and 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 he put his balls on the line because if they were floundering at the back, he would have looked like an idiot as well. But there was just a group of people that were like, we're going to do whatever we can, and I had to f- build the bike around myself. They just gave me all these tools. That's why I said it. When I'm like, oh, what's different with these frames? They're like, they're all different. I'm like, yeah, but what's different? They're like, don't worry, just ride it. Don't have a biased opinion. Just ride it. Tell us what you like and why. And then we would go to another track two weeks later and do all the same thing again, but it'd be a completely different type of track. And then it was funny also to then hear some of my comments and I'm like, oh boy, I'm, I'm contradicting myself. I really like that over there, mm. but now I'm kind of dogging it over here. And you know, then you know, even like your dad will be like, so what changed? I'm like, uh, the track? You know, that worked there, it doesn't work there. But then that also helps us with things going, all right, if we go to this track, maybe we swing, switch to that swing arm or, you know, that setup. So um, it was cool because you don't get a whole lot of that nowadays. Um, you know, mm-hmm. even in Europe, the, I think the Japanese, it's still production. It, even though they could change, it's pretty much production. I know a few of those teams make some trick parts and change things, but it's for the most part, we've sort of gone back to that production even if it's not a rule Mm. everyone's running basically production maybe if someone really dislikes something they'll manufacture a swing arm or a shock body but it's typically what they sell is what is what the guys are racing both in europe and in america Uh, yeah so one of the like for for me right so when i was a kid growing up my dad always rode hondas 
and then you know that's what i had when i raced and it was like i my first bike was a cr125 and then my second bike i bought a crf250 and then i got a crf450 and it was like i had one year where i went to yamaha through like a, a shop sponsorship and then i fucking hated it. uh sorry a cowie fucking hated it i went back to hondas and then uh it wasn't until the jdr i got like a 350 like the first year when simmons rode it and i like had a bike uh-huh. i could go out and kind of kind of ride but in terms of like so my dad i liked hondas because of my dad and then dad liked hondas because of the, the cultural movement of the honda from the elsinore you know like it oh, yeah. changed my dad was the same and, way yep yeah, he so raced you, you in have like this. so he's the same way. He was a Honda guy, and from a young age, my dad said to me, my dream is that you're a factory HRC rider. That was his dream for me. I was like, I just want to win yeah. championships. <laughs> yeah, so that, that uh, yeah, like that, there's that era, right? And it's like that, that motorcycle was just, that was the pinnacle, and it just created this like legacy that, that still exists now, like the HRC kind of deal. But I look at, in in my own life i've watched i feel like i've watched ktm do to the motocross bike what honda did with the elsinore and it's like as i've like the i've got two i've got a ktm 350 and a husky 125 in my garage and it's like i got a 96 cr 250 and i love that's i'll literally never sell that bike like i'll probably give that to my kid one day you know but so there is still that love from being a kid but in terms of like what ktm did for me and like i watched that evolution happen and you know you watch the way like i remember um like your 125 uh, in the the gps and then when you raced the the 252 stroke in america and then watching ben townley on that number i think he was like number 30 and you know i'd see like yeah. motocross action motocross action and they had the the wp forks and like a fucking factory ktm in that era when i was a kid was just like the gnarliest thing ever and you watched it kind of suck and then you see this evolution uh and then you know like dunge to do what dunge did for that brand to go and win a supercross title on that bike and then the 350 had Caroli winning world titles on this alternate size motor. Mm-hmm. And now that, you know, they, there was like a dungy error and now they've done it with Cooper Webb. And it's just like KTM has gone through this incredible transition. And I, I think that they've done for the modern motocross bike, what Honda did for, for the Elsinore. hundred percent. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Uh, you know, one of the things my dad is into is uh, old vintage bikes, restoration, all that. And, yeah. you know, now that I'll have probably some extra weekends, I'm sure I'll be uh, racing a few of them. He's building a, a couple HL 500s and then probably a lot of people don't even know what those are. They were old TT 500s and there was a European version, the Bent Aberg version and in america ricky johnson actually raced one briefly but just oh, they wow. were punched out like 600 cc wicked things uh, and they basically took a street bike or enduro bike took that motor and put it into a motocross setup in fact the guy that builds the kits is is in australia because my dad's been dealing with them so that'll be fun when it's done to to ride that but yeah kate ktm 
in that era of the 90s that I remember being around 90s into 2000 that you know just being in Europe we went to the factory quite frequently and just seeing what they did whether it was off-road Dakar rally whatever I mean they just because I remember thinking at one point man these guys are really into off-road but they had made a, a plan and a direction and they went at it hard and even I feel like there was that transition when I was there and then there was a bit of a lull and then I left and I, I really feel like in Supercross and that there was an inferior motorcycle and then like you said another wave came along with a good group and I think Roger DaCosta obviously had a lot to do with it he was able to make promises to Dunge to get him over to get other people involved Ian Harrison who had been a long time his right hand man at Suzuki who was Elbertain's mechanic back in the day was now coming over to KTM there was guys that I worked with in the GPs that came over that were working so then there was this next wave where they decided we need a linkage we, you know, we're, we're, we're basically revamping this entire machine from the ground up. And since that happened, they've obviously had a lot of success. But the thing to think that that was really great out of that is it made the Japanese wake up and then mm -hmm. have them come to the party and step it up and maybe get a little out of their comfort zone. I know that they like to test things for many, many years before bringing it to production. I started seeing those, those wait times go from five, six, seven years to two to three years, you know, because KTM was progressing at a faster rate than them. And I think a lot of times they were thinking, well, there'll be failures. And if you look at it, everyone's, every manufacturer's had a failure at some point. It's just, you'll never get around that. But the fact that they've also had so little failures by pushing the envelope, they just went pedal to the metal and focused on off-road and moto, you know, and, I, and it showed. And I think it comes back to why even now when we talked, we were talking earlier about how all the bikes are so similar because I know for a fact, because I won't even mention names, but I think everyone will put two and two together. Because of where I'm located, I have all the manufacturers coming into my shop buying the other manufacturer's bikes so they can take them back and dissect them and go through it all. So everyone knows exactly what everyone else has at the moment. And uh, they, they do it similar, but then they put their own little spin on it, whether it's you know, the styling or the finishing touches or maybe what size forks they're going to run or clamp or whatever it may be. They're similar, but you buy that bike, if you don't like it exactly how it is, you can make a few changes and it'll be how you want it. So throwing that all together, I think Honda did a phenomenal job back in the day. And I, and I think Honda, we could argue, fell asleep at the wheel. I think they rested on their laurels and then all of a sudden they went from being the bike to be on to you got to look at a lot of the results after that that era kind of after Jeremy really even you know there was there was a lull for Honda you know even um, even they would bring the stats up in the pro motocross series this year the last time Yamaha won was me in 07 and then Ferrandis and you think wow that's a long time for a big brand like Yamaha and then you go well hang on a second the last Honda win was Ricky in 04 we're coming up on almost 20 years now. And that's a brand that was used to winning and dominating. So mm. I'm sure even for them, they're going to be going, wait a minute, we're the best brand. We arguably have the best rider and, and the next and the next next best rider because you could say Chase Sexton's the future Honda. They got Jet in the pipeline. Like you would think they're mm. doing everything right, but guess what? Still not many number one plates on the wall. So it's just a, it's a crazy industry sometimes. 
Yeah, and it's just so cool to watch um, to watch that culture and and uh, you know like I remember as a kid you'd go to the track and you'd just see every single sixty five was a KTM and I I remember thinking even as a young kid I'm like what the fuck is everybody else doing like because I said you, the same you thing create, <laughs> you create these lifers man like if, if you're a kid on a on a KTM and then you got a KTM 60 a 50 and then you got a KTM 60 and then you got a KTM 85 yeah. and you got a KTM 125 like it's like you you've got you you've got them like you got your hooks into to these kids and it's like it's a general it's a it's a lifelong commitment that you make to a brand and and i could see it and you're just like dude what these guys what are they doing yeah i it's funny you say that because i thought the exact same thing and i said it i'm like oh, okay they, they're figuring it out they'll get it sorted next year they'll have a bike all right maybe it took a little bit longer next year they'll have a bike and i'm going you guys just like you said you're cre- you've opened up this this pandora's box to ktm and saying hey take all the young talent they're going to love this these machines because they're the best like you said who's going to want to switch from that you know like you said they're mm. going to bleed orange and uh you know yamaha has had to revamp their you know their kt oh sorry their kt their, their mini bikes where it was the 85 the 65 and you almost felt like saying but what took so long and then you got honda and you know they don't even have a 65 and mm. you know in the competitive 50 class yes those other manufacturers have klx ttr crf you know these great yeah, recreational bikes those. but but yeah. you line up next to ktm it's, it's not even a contest it's chalk and cheese so i would like to see maybe the ktm organization um you know they now own three brands and i was talking to the guys i'm like you should make gas gas the fun brand like make make the make make some mm. ttr you know klx versions in a gas gas brand because ktm slogan slogan is ready to race you know they just want to be a performance based yeah. company i'm like that's great keep that you need that make gas gas maybe the recreational side and the and the maybe more affordable because they're, they're going for the more affordable you know not the high-end um, and they look cool and all that. And then I'm like, Husky could be your niche street and cruiser, whatever, you know, find them all yeah. in a pocket, but appeal to the masses too, because there's kids that are going to just be recreational riders and there's kids that want to be the next champion, have something for everyone. And I think that's where KTM did a really good job at getting that young enthusiast the amount of the amount of just never mind the bikes and that the merchandise that we sell through ktm because the kid loves it the dad loves it or probably has a 500 exc or a off-road bike or something so there's you know i remember you know it seemed like it was all honda and yamaha merch that was sold ktm sells at least in my store i know we sell more ktm and we're in a moto inspired area, you know, with a lot of tracks and yeah, all that. So I, hub, get, I, get, yeah. I get, I get, I get yeah. that it's it's not the same for everyone, but you know. And then they, they collaboration with KTM, and then they did deals with TLD and maybe Fox and all that. You know, these guys really did some things that I thought the other manufacturers should have been doing a while ago. And yeah. kudos to them. Nah, yeah. No, nah, I totally agree. All right, so we're almost done. I'll save the COVID stuff till last. The dust has settled on uh, you stepping away from uh, the the Pro Motocross Series, which is, as a fan that gets up on Sunday mornings in Australia um, to watch this shit, 
not airing you on there is a bummer. Um, are you okay with how everything went down and, and how the dust settled? Obviously, those two posts that you did, I mean, you couldn't have known that they were going to get the kind of traction that they did. Um, no, hell no. But, you know, you, you did those two posts, um, a photo with Davey, you know, come into the shop eventually. But now that the dust has settled, like, are you happy with the way that you handled the situation um, and I guess the fallout from it and stepping away? Uh, it's a really tough question to answer uh, truthfully because there's a few ways I think I could look at it and other people could look at it. I I was getting a little stressed out and and not enjoying the travel and the you know the, like I said mm. on the one hand COVID COVID was great for the, the the industry and the dealership and all that, but I felt like it was kind of wearing on me a little bit. You know just. It, it took the fun away. It was like, it was almost frowned upon and be socializing. And then, you know, in the TV compound, um, anytime there was like, oh, there's a Delta variant, you know, you can just feel that everyone's getting a little more paranoid. And I, and I understand some of it from the other side of the fence, which maybe I didn't quite get in the beginning, but it's like, if there's an outbreak, you know, because of the way, you know, one of the things I don't like about America is everyone's so sue happy. So half these decisions are being mm. made on not what's best for the sport, Fear. what's this, what's that. It's just I'm just shit scared of getting sued or this getting shut down or the repercussions. So everyone's trying to basically avoid that that big issue or that big problem. Now, fast forward and you know, this is obviously a whole nother topic as well. I think I try to explain my side of it, but with the whole vaccine thing, it it became basically political, you know, whether you want to say in the US or around the world, it's people have opinions. It's, yeah, it's everywhere. It's, yeah, you, you, I, don't, I don't even want to try and change anyone's mind or tell them that I'm right or I have no idea. I might be a complete idiot, but I've always, approach things my way i've traveled the world i've done a lot of random things i've been a lot of random places and i maybe don't look at everything the same way as everyone else i mean i even joke with people i'm like i'm left-handed i don't know if that has something to do with it because they say you, you use the other side of your brain so maybe i'm just using that side but i i was feeling like the pressure was going to come where it was like you're going to have to be vaccinated or you're going to be out now no one actually said mandatory vaccines but there's a lot of moving parts even in the series. You've got MX Sports, the promoter. You've got AMA, who's the sanctioning body. Mm. You've got NBC, who's actually putting the, t the TV package out there. And then you've got Lucas Oil Productions or Lucas Oil, who owns Lucas Oil Productions that produces the show and they have their slot on MAV TV. So when I signed my deal for the outdoors, nothing was ever mentioned about COVID and all that. Now, last year, no one was vaccinated and we all had to follow COVID protocols and all that. And, and I was a person saying, hey, whether I agree with them or not, you want to be here, you got to follow their rules, you know, and, and yeah. I've always respected that side of it. Now, fast forward, I didn't ask everyone, hey, are you vaccinated or not? You know, part of me feels like saying it's none of your business, but you know, we're in that position now where people feel they deserve a right to know your, whether you're vaccinated or what your opinion is on it. So as the, the outdoor series was going on, in the beginning I thought, okay, we'll be okay. It, it's just been annoying as far as, 
You get on the plane. Hey, can I get some food? Oh, we're not serving food. Oh, shit. This is a long flight. Mm. We've been delayed four hours. Can I get a beverage? Nope, no, no beverage. Okay. I'll get one at a layover. Half the places were closed. There was half the tables were blocked off still. You know, they were understaffed, you know, mm. and you're like, traveling sucks, man. There's long lines. There were days I didn't even eat lunch because there was nowhere. I didn't have time to physically get food between a layover because this was delayed, that was delayed. There were long lines. And I'm like, this this is I could feel wearing on me a little bit and I'm like I started feeling like the noose is tightening and this mandated vaccine thing is going to happen I just I I know it then where I thought that we would get through this outdoor without any major issues and in fact with this whole delta variant I uh, I said in my post but I I deliberately started just staying away from the TV compound and not talking to anyone I didn't need to um, Jason and my Wygan and myself, we go through a back door in one of the trucks that's separated. And I figured, you know what? I can talk to the producer on the headset, kind of like I'm talking to you across, across the world. And uh, he's the guy I need to talk to and Jason, you know, and we can even sit a little little further apart, put a, put a divider, whatever, you know, just if everyone wants to feel more comfortable. But where it sort of stung me was, I was uh, I was riding up in the in the hills in Utah uh, in the mountains on a on a fun dual sport ride with a group of people and and I I got a call basically from the guys at Lucas saying hey there were a couple of people that tested positive in the TV compound in order to be able to come back to the race this weekend you need uh, a negative test I said yeah no problem and then he's like have you been vaccinated I said no and uh, the next day was the day so I flew home that night from Utah on a late flight and I remember I was trying to figure out to make an appointment to make sure I got this this negative test so I had an appointment Thursday morning at the urgent care down the street from me I started hearing rumors that I was being replaced so at this point I, Mm. I don't know anything more than I've been asked to do a negative test so I'm thinking I wonder if this is true and uh the producer happened to call me and go, oh, you're still coming? And I said, yeah, why? And he goes, oh, well, I think there might be a miscommunication. I said, there's been no communication. And he said, well, Mm. I believe they're replacing you with Ricky. And I said, for what? And they said, well, because you were exposed. I said, really? Uh, Did, you know, like, does anyone know? Oh, there was a couple people. Didn't, I don't know if they didn't want to mention names or whatever, but I just felt like it was. So he's like, well, you might just want to find out. I, I don't want to say anything out of line and, and, and get involved. But he goes, maybe you should find out something and find out. You would have thought I would have at least You'd been given told. respect yeah. to get a phone call and say, hey, this is what we're dealing with. Because I would have loved to at least said, hey, I don't I don't believe I was exposed whatsoever. Secondly, I just came back from a negative COVID test. And thirdly, we were able to do this whole protocol thing last year. I said, I could avoid everyone, wear a mask, sit six feet away from Jason. If Jason had a problem with it, which I don't believe he would, he could have said something as well, but it never even kind of went there. It was just like, well, you were exposed, so stay home. Mm. And it it also irritated me because I felt like, yeah, everyone else that was exposed is going because they got the vaccine. So what is the real thing here? And is this just the beginning of going, we're not forcing it, but because you're exposed, you can't come. I'm like, it's kind of the same difference in my opinion. 
I, mm. I was definitely frustrated that I had to call and text multiple people multiple times. And it almost felt like no one and everyone was too scared to answer the phone. And mm. you know, when you get that feeling and I sent like a group text saying like, hey, what the hell is going on people? Like I'm like about to get in the car to go to the airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, but in this case I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong and I feel like I'm being treated like, you know, the bad guy in the situation. So at that point in time, I'm like, I can't go to the race purely because I'm not vaccinated is how I saw it. Yeah, maybe I was heated and overreacted a little bit, but my thought is if I can't come this weekend, then I don't I don't want to be bothered coming. Like you've just, you've kind of ruined mm. it for me right now. You took the wind out of my sails. I'm feeling pretty irritated at the moment. I'm healthy. And yet, and, 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 the, and the fact that it was kind of like, oh, it's not a big deal, you know, just stay home, deal with it. I'm like, no, it is. The minute I'm not a race, everyone's gonna be calling, texting, where's your blanks and what happened, blah, blah, blah. And then even if I did come back for the last two races, I feel that they're, Lucas Oil, I know, they are mandating that everyone in their company get vaccinated. I'm not contracted to Lucas Oil. I was actually contracted to NBC. And that's where I feel like this gets a little muddied because no, everyone's mm. kind of pointing the finger a little bit. And I'm going, yeah, the company I don't even work for is the one that's not allowing me on the premises. And, you know, you almost feel like saying, who is running this show? Who is, yeah, what is going mm. on? And like I said, when I coupled everything together and my frustration, I still thought if this is how it's gonna be, I would only do those last two races anyway. And maybe mm. the stubborn asshole on me came out and just said, you know what? If I can't come this weekend, then I'm not fucking coming ever again. Mm. And I just, that's how I felt. And I know some people think that I overreacted or I don't think many people do. I think some people are like, dude, you could have just stayed home a week and come back. Everything would have been fine. But I don't I don't feel like it's going to be fine going forward. And had I done that, maybe this, you know, like you said, when I put out those posts, you're right. I had absolutely no idea, no idea that I would open up this can of worms and in all honesty create a massive shitstorm in the industry i know mm. it put put davy coombs in a in a tough position because you know he, i think he was getting a lot of hate mail from people um we had a conversation too and i don't want to get into that i really think it, it's between he and i but we we cleared some things up we had a what i'd say a pretty good conversation just talked about just things and moving forward and you know like i said to him it, it's your series so if something if if one of your subcontractors is able to affect your series it's gonna it's gonna create issues for you you're gonna get some heat you're gonna get some backlash whether it's good or bad some people are gonna say well you know shut up take the vaccine and move on um but i also think we're in a, from an industry where that's not really our style you know most of the people don't want to be mm. vaccinated they feel like they're healthy or they've had it or their reasons and you know, once again, to each their own, have that uh, opinion. And like I said to them, if everyone else is vaccinated in the TV compound except me, surely they're safe and I'm the only one that could be vulnerable. But I thought a negative test was a negative test. So the goalposts just keep moving, you know, from mm. last year even to this year. And I just didn't want to be sitting around the next six months while they figure out how to mandate it without creating a big issue. So the one thing I am glad about is after I said what I said, I think it really made people rethink how they were going to handle things moving forward. I think it was almost getting mm. a point where 
we'll just have everyone comply whether they like it or not this is how it's going to be and everyone will move forward now there's heat and pressure coming from all directions but at least opened up that conversation where from my understanding i think people maybe like davy and that are going to try and stand up for the the rights of us to choose rather than just go well mm -hmm. someone said that they're going to mandate it so we're just going to roll with it so i don't know what will happen in the future um i mean th this thing keeps changing the data keeps changing the variants changing it's mutating there's booster shots it could get gnarly in the future or it, this could just be nothing more than a kind of crappy memory in our uh, COVID days of, of life and being locked down. So I don't really know. Uh, all I know is unless things were to, to change, meaning kind of unwind from where we've been going and the direction we're going, because I know the very next step now is, go, is to force everyone. And I think there's a lot of companies mm. that are thinking, shit this might not be the best thing for our series or for our look you know how do we how do we get around this where we can still be insured not be sued and keep everyone happy and i do believe that that is harder than people realize um but at the same time all i did was say how i felt and where my head was at and um i, I just wasn't prepared to go back feeling also feeling like the outsider you know, it's, there's something mm. to be said like, oh, yeah, the only non-vaccinated guy here, you're not welcome. You know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it was just hard to, to, to take it all in real quick and then just say, yeah, no worries. I'm cool with this. It's just not my style. Yeah. And I only wanted to say my piece. And I was shocked at how many people at least said, hey, man, I totally get that. And I'm with you. Good for you. So I appreciate all those people because I, I expected a lot of heat as well. But it was like 99% supportive. So, and, and, and I know people said, hey, I've had the vaccine, but I still back you 100%. And I'm like, I appreciate that. Yeah. We, can, we can all be our own individuals and make up our own decisions. But I think we've just gotten to this day and age where it's just like, shut up, don't ask questions and do as you're told. And <laughs> that doesn't work very well with me. Yeah, no, well, kudos to you, man. Like, and, and I share the exact same views that you share. Um, I'm not anti-vax. If you want to get vaccinated, then you should get vaccinated. If you don't want to get vaccinated, then you shouldn't get vaccinated. And I also believe yeah. that we live in a free society where you can't be forced uh, to do... Like, the, the analogy that I've been using to people, right, is that um, if... So you can die in a car accident right you can be uh you can kill yourself in a car accident you can kill someone else in a car accident you can be uh driving the car you can be a passenger in the car like there are risks associated with being in a motor vehicle uh in any level we know these risks and we accept a certain amount of risk like i don't know the american numbers but in australia literally more people die from cars than have died from COVID. so there's a very comparable thing within society right and it's it would in my mind it would be like the let's say you're a person like you've got you've got a history with vaccines personally as well which you brought up in the in your video and if i'd been through some of the things that you'd been through in your life i would also be hesitant uh to say the least you know um yeah. and honestly from my personal side like i receive a lot of fucking messages and i have not received I, I have received so many messages, more messages from people. Like, I actually haven't 
received a lot of messages from people saying, oh, dude, I've had COVID. It's gnarly. I've received a lot of messages from people saying like, dude, the vaccine fucked up my friend or this happened to me when I got the vaccine. Um, So, but to me, it's like the, if you're scared of driving a car because you look at the statistics and you're like, fuck man, I've got a, I've got a, a, you know, four in 1000 chance or, you know, whatever the numbers work out to be of when I get in a car and it's out of my control. So, which is the same as COVID, like you can be exposed completely out of your control. Right. And then you can get a disease that could possibly kill you. And if you're a person that's going like, fuck man, I've looked at these car numbers I don't, just don't know that I want to do this. Like, I, I, I think I'm going to opt out of ever being in a motor vehicle ever. I'm never going to drive one. I'm never going to be a passenger. I'm never going to take a bus. I might not even walk on the fucking sidewalk because I'm scared of, of these cars. Now, that might be an unrealistic fear, but that can be a fear nonetheless based on, you know, mortality and statistics. Do you think it would be right to live in a free society and have the government tell you that you need to do a driving test and you need to get a driver's license and you need to get in a car? I don't know that that sounds a lot like freedom. And I think it's a very similar parallel. It's like an, an, an obscure analogy, but it's the same. We're looking at the same things. And in Australia, the numbers are oh, very yeah. similar too. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I think the reality is there's about a, chance I know the numbers are a little different around the world and they come in but basically there's a 99.9% survival rate and even the people that that maybe weren't going to survive I hate to say it but a lot of them they were going to die from something else in the near future anyway and I'm not diminishing that but a, a lot of them had underlying issues or you know just weren't healthy or other things but I've well, it's never 90, even heard. So the numbers wise is 95% of people that die from COVID-19 have uh, a, an average of four comorbidities. So like yeah. that's what you're speaking to. That's the number to what you're speaking to. Exactly. And then like you said, whether it's a car or whether it's just how you are, you know, one of the things that I've actually really enjoyed about this country is it is one of the few places left on earth where you have rights and freedom and that and and i've i mean you've probably seen a little bit in australia not to not to knock your home country i love it but they've gone like borderline going on. Balli- ballistic over this whole thing i mean they are i mean they don't talk about the amount of people's lives they've ruined you know depression is through the roof alcoholism uh you know suicide, drug abuse domestic suicide violence. yeah um, even talking, like I said, with, with the coach at the school that's in charge of this um, uh, Dirty Wheels Club, he, we were on the phone yesterday for an hour. He just was telling me, hey, he was talking a kid, you know, off the edge of the, you know, of committing suicide. Yeah. And I'm thinking, these are 16-year-old kids. Like, I don't recall me and anyone in my school being like that. But now you hear about it, it's pretty common. And... Mm. You know, so there's there's also the, the 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 obscured numbers that I feel like people don't. And 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 here again, uh, one of my best friends, his dad had heart issues, went to hospital, the heart surgery didn't work out, he died, and they have the death certificate, COVID. And he's hmm. like, I, did you even give him a COVID test? And they're like, oh yeah, we have the results somewhere. And he's like, he died of heart failure, but it was put down hmm. as COVID. Uh, even from my messages and my uh, those postings, I've had. And I can't verify all of these, but I've had people message me, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, um, I've seen this, I've seen that. Um, I know people that have told me personal stories about 
you know, one of our sales guys, his dad was hospitalized after taking the vaccine. He had blood clots on the lung, breathing issues, heart problems. He's going to be he's going to be okay. It looks like, but um, there again, the, these are the things that I think that the the medical profession is trying to sweep under the rug. It, it, all it is is. Mm. Please do as we say. And they sometimes I, I, I get curious because it's almost like if America and Europe says this, this is what we're going to do. We're working on this vaccine. All right. Everyone's on board. Right. And then the rest of the world just goes, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll do whatever. Yeah. Mm. If that's what you think. Cool. We'll follow yeah. the same rules. Yet every country has had completely different outcomes and results. South Africa is a complete yeah. mess. I mean, they were even using the AstraZeneca shot from, from uh, Europe and they were having more issues with middle-aged men and this and that. And, you know, one of my best friends, his father passed shortly after taking the first shot. You know, so the fact that they go, yeah, they're all of the same. They're all fine. They're all safe. I'm like, they're all different, you know. Uh, yeah. But you wouldn't know. And I, the other thing that I feel for me is I get that there are some people that maybe have a compromised immune system or have some underlying conditions yeah. that are paranoid about getting this because they don't know if they'll come out of it. I understand that. I've had it, I think twice. I know at least once for sure, but I'm not afraid of it. It barely bothered me. Mm. I'm actually glad I had it because I'm not walking around in fear 24 seven. I'm fear, okay. Yeah. I'm fine with it. If I got it again, you know what? Tough shit. It's like getting the cold, in my opinion. And, and I'll build, up, is, I'll build right. up an immune system and I'll get over it and I'll be fine. And I'll stay away from people because I don't want to be a bad guy. I want to help out and do my part. But then again, I, if the vaccine works, then why are all these people getting vaccinated and ending up in hospital? Yeah. And, and the thing is, man, is like that, that statement that you said, that's the problem for people, right? But people don't have perspective. So when you said like, I'll get it and I'll be fine... The, the counter argument is well fuck you selfish piece of shit like you're gonna exactly. give it to, to someone else and then that's where I'm like hey 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 whoa 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 we need to pump the brakes and we need to look around in society we have this we have this we have a place whereby you going out and living your life you can kill another person even if you're following all the rules and that's a fucking car for sure if you really really care about never killing or injuring another one of your fellow americans or fellow australians or fellow fucking whatever don't get in a motor vehicle because they fuck people up they fuck families up they fuck like a bus full of like people die every single day serious injuries life-ending injuries life-changing injuries but we have to have cars to run society we need food from the trucks we need transport how are you going to make your flight how are you going to run your bit like there is the cost of life is death and we've just moved into this bizarre world where you're not allowed yeah. to die from something and like i'm speaking and and i i get it I'm speaking from someone that two years ago, right before all this shit started, my grandma died of the flu, right? My uncle probably was the one that gave it to her. At no point, I just was not living in a reality where that was an issue. I used to live in a reality where sick people died and there was no point in shutting down the world so that sick people didn't die. Death comes for all of us. And we've just lost yeah. this this perspective around it. And and I honestly can't... You, you're so right in saying that, um, you know, we follow the US and we follow what happens in Europe. And 
man, honestly, this fucking thing just came at the worst timing ever because Trump, Biden, there was a pending election and something that should not be politicized. The, the health of a global population should not be left or right. And, and that's yeah. what it ended up. You know, this, this virus landed on our doorstep as a, an election and one of America's most important recent elections. You know, it landed there. It was so politicized. Um, and it was, you know, Every, I think everything. it was... A, everything is. And I think it was a, you know, this virus was a weapon that was used to try and get Trump out of office. And I'm, it's not a political statement in any way um, of who should be in or out. But, you know, this thing just... This is a media virus. You know, this is an idea yeah. virus. This is... This is and I'm speaking for my country, you know, like literally more people have died from car accidents last year than this. And we've shut down our whole fucking country. So it's like, this isn't a virus that, that is ruining our nation. And, and that, you know, people make the argument of like, oh, that's because you close borders and that's because you... Yeah, we should have rules in the same way that we should have road rules. I'm not saying that you have no fucking speed limit on your on your yeah. uh in your car and i'm not saying that you, you you're allowed to you know run whatever kind of fucking car you want and that you can't wear seat belts and that you can drive without headlights and and you can run red lights if you feel like it that's not the kind of society that we need to live in but you know it, it's like in my mind it's like we've regulated covid to the point where it has stopped the function of society and it would be like saying we don't want anyone to die of cars anymore so the maximum speed limit that you can go in a vehicle is three miles per hour. And then you go, well, that's fucking stupid. I could walk faster than that. That just destroys the function of the car. That's the same yeah. thing that we've done. And we've just taken away this concept that the cost of life is death. And that every time you get in a motor vehicle, this could be your last time. I'm going to drive home after this and get some food. Fuck could be the end, bro. And that's the reality. Like, that's what we live with. But now people have got to this stage where it's not okay to die from something. And, and it's not yeah. okay that you can, by living your life and by you being a law-abiding citizen, it's not okay that you could, by some cause of fucking act of God, whatever you want to call it, you could cause the mortality of somebody else. And, you know, I think that why you got the response that you did is because the situation that you were involved in was like this echo chamber of what's happening throughout all of society. Yeah. Um, and you just, you took a stand for freedom. And I mean, I said it when I went on Pulp the other day, like I, when I was in America, and I'd fucking argue with people about the Second Amendment and freedom. And I was just like, uh -huh. you guys are fucking idiots. Like, you should want to live in a society with no guns. But it's like, it's not the guns. It's a, it's a freedom yep. thing, you know? Like there's a certain level of personal liberty that in my opinion, you have, you, you are on an island. You are a sovereign uh, island that you stand on and you've been given these rights. And then the job of the government is to protect those rights and build a fair society around those rights. On the thinking that a free person will act good. Yep. And, you know, we're, we're moving away from that. Well, the one last thing I was going to say is I think if you go look at like speaking of cars, go look at like manuals from the 60s and 70s. It showed you how to adjust valves and that. Now it tells you don't drink the, the contents of the battery fluid. You know, society's just mm. gone downhill as well. And that's part of the problem. We keep just, you know, trying to protect morons. And instead of people going, 
go drink that and see what happens. No, it's let's try find every way to protect these people. And as you said, you're almost losing this like common sense in society. And mm. people like to be out, they like to interact, they like to be with their families. And I really hope that we can just see this at least for however, however it happens. I don't know if it's gonna require just some more science data, booster shots, whatever. I just would like to see this subside and life go back to normal. And I really think you'll see a lot more of a healthy um, population than now. Keeping people locked down is not keeping them healthy. So that's my last two cents worth on that one. No, well, uh, we'll end it full circle. I want this to end so we can do our trip to South Africa. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. And Australia. Yeah. Hey, mate, honestly, I have fucking enjoyed this so much. So I really, really, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. And um, we'll definitely do this again soon. I appreciate it. And I enjoyed it. And thanks for asking some different questions and just having a good rap. I, I enjoy that. I love to have a good chat with a good guy. And I'll tell you one thing. The first time I saw you, um, I... I wouldn't say you didn't look intelligent, but you're far more intelligent than you originally looked in the photo, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Hey, uh, the other thing I was going to ask you too before we go, what the fuck are you going to do now with, like, your voice needs to be heard. You you can't, I get that you're not doing the commentary right now, and that's, you know what, that's probably a blessing for this sport because there's shit that you can actually say now that you couldn't say before. Like, is have you got any plans? Can I help you with anything when it comes to you creating content around talking about the sport? I know you got you know, peeing and whiskey throttle, but is there anything that I can do? Is there, like, what I we need you talking about this shit. Well, I appreciate that. I, at, You know, at the moment, um, my kind of thought was, we're, there's only a few months left in this year. I was just going to leave it at, the shop is, is, is rolling pretty good. The kids are back at school. They're back at sports again. Um, I want to tone it down a little bit as far as just maybe not talk about moto as much. Um, take a back seat, maybe help, like I said, some of these uh, uh, smaller races, kids, whatever I can do. And just kind of feel like what makes me tick. I have a feeling if I know myself, I'll be moving forward and get involved and I'm sure we'll we'll keep in touch moving forward. But for the short term, I'm actually kind of happy just to sit back, be quiet for once. <laughs> I feel like I've been uh, uh, out there lately and, and, and my name being used and, and you know, talking about these topics quite a bit. So I want to see what happens. I'm hoping, like I said, the dust really settles on all of this. And then who knows? I, I really just hope 2022 is a fantastic year and, and I'm always keen to get involved in stuff. But it's got it's got to be in, in from the heart. You know, it can't be for me. It can't be for a, a paycheck or just just to keep my name out there. It's got to be something I really want to do. Yeah, sweet. And so Langston Motorsports, what's the website? LangstonMotorsports.com. And unfortunately, we don't have the greatest. Uh, we don't have the greatest of website as far as online sales. I feel like we're more that brick and mortar come in type place if you can. But we're that's something that I, I want to um, grow and, and and improve in the future. Just because because of this whole COVID thing, the world has changed the way we operate. And you know, before I felt like it was Amazon and the big guys, you know, online. Now it's kind of almost everyone sort of has to be. 
Yeah, sweet. Well, um, Langston Motorsports, it's a it's a amazing facility um, that the the guys have built up um, over the years. So if you are in the Southern California area, um, pop in. I know GL's there a bit. Is on the on the uh, on the tools and um, yeah, support uh, someone that has given a lot to this industry. So, oh, thanks, mate. Appreciate, it, brother. Well, um, yeah, I'm keen to put this one out pretty soon, but um, I'll, I'll text you all the links and stuff like that. So, perfect. And uh, and yeah, fuck, that was unreal. Thanks, that, thanks heaps, dude. Eh? It was, uh, yeah, really good, really good time. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I thought it was uh, it was cool because we kind of. I feel like at times you almost answer most of those questions, but it's always different when you when it's in a conversation setting, mm. the way it's presented, or the way it comes out, or the way it's translated. Because uh, the only other time I ever talked about some of that personal stuff was actually on the on the Whiskey Throttle show when Ping interviewed me type thing. So, um, mm. but even then, I think I was going through that timeline, so it was very you know yeah you know talking about the family stuff was spread out because this happened and then that happened and then that happened so um yeah yeah no i think uh i've said to my parents before hey i hope you don't get upset if i talk about <laughs> some of the marriage stuff yeah. and my mom's like well it's already out there so whatever yeah it's hard though eh? like i mean i even think that like uh like i was talking to a friend of mine the other night and she was asking me about like how i grew up and shit and um because yeah we were fucking so poor like it's probably i don't know that it's something that i'll uh maybe down the track like it's you know something i might talk about but like dude it was fucking trauma like traumatizing to to go through some of the stuff that you know we went through as kids and just being so fucking broke and it just like really affected me mentally you know and it's like it's hard because like i'm fine with people knowing that about me like i've created something great for myself and i've had an incredible life and if i wasn't if we weren't so poor and if I didn't go through like dude we just crazy fucking drugs in our neighborhood and like we used to fucking like yeah. houses on fire and real <laughs> retaliation to people that would like you know fuck us up and you know like it was a gnarly shit and but I don't care people knowing about me personally yeah. at that but it's more my parents you know like because my I know my dad did the best that he could and like I fucking love for it and it's and it's you don't want to seem you don't want to seem like mm. you're kind of bashing that situation, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a delicate subject. But it's like like you're saying, it is part of your life and basically part of what made you. Mm. And, and the thing is, too, man, is that like that. That's the one thing that um, I've figured out with this is like the more honest that you are, like the more people you can help because there's people that feel like they've they're alone in these situations and that if they're like if they're going through shit with their parents and they've got this divorce and if they feel like maybe they were the reason why and it's like it can just fuck their life and they think that they're like their story's already written and they can't be a successful person and then you hear someone like you that's just lived this incredible life that come from where you come from and it's just like no that's the power dude like that's the shit you harness like you take that trauma and then you turn it into like this crazy beautiful thing yeah I'm chuckling. I'm looking at my phone during the show. Davey Coombs text me. Jeremy Malott text me. <laughs> How random! That's so funny. Oh, oh that's fucking classic, dude. I, well, I love Hammer Man. That's that's my guy. He's a good dude. No, I like him a lot. Um, 
I am going to um, head on out just because I got my kids and yeah. I got to do dinner and that. But obviously, we have each other's numbers. Feel free to call, text, yeah. whenever, and let's keep in touch and yeah. yeah, see what the future holds. Likewise, brother. Love you heaps, man. Thanks so much for doing it. Same. Cheers. Catch you back.